This very special episode of Watch Out for Fireballs is brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com for, hey, hey, roars, uh, forward slash DuckFeedTV. Um, you can join us there. It's a good fun, roars, it is a good and fun time, and you get cool stuff, and you can talk to us in Slack, which I know we keep talking about, but it's because we really like it, uh, and we really like you. Even if you can't support us, we appreciate you listening. Thank you. Gary Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And you're listening to a very special Watch Out for Fireballs uh, Survey Course 101 episode, as we do. <laughs> um, a, very, a very special special. Yes, the special special. Not to be confused with Maria Bamford's special special. Um, <laughs> this is an episode about interactive fiction. Yes, this is um, uh, our episode where we talk about something that is also known as text adventures. Yes. Yeah, and this is uh, very different than, you know, anybody who listens to the show knows that we like adventure games. Um, we like, but mostly we talk about graphical adventure games. Yeah. Um, but this is something pretty different than that. Uh, and this is more related to things like twine games or game books or choose your own adventures or visual novels or even a little bit close to, to MUDs, even though that introduces like a multiplayer component that makes it feel real different. Yeah. Yeah. So they're related to those, but uh, uh, kind of distinct from them. They're uh, far more primitive in presentation, um, and they have a bunch of commonalities between them. But, like, it all can be boiled down to games that are played in this call-and-response rhythm where a scene or scenario is described to you, and then you respond by inputting uh, simple sentences into a text parser. A lot like a game of Dungeons & Dragons without (laughs) dice. Like, you know, you're being presented a scene by the DM. And then you mm-hmm. say what your character does in it. Um, these are usually very visually simple, but mechanically mm-hmm. they've gotten really complicated as like, <laughs> they're this real weird thing where it's like this uh, offshoot, this evolutionary offshoot that I feel like has like moved way longer than you would think. Like yeah. moved further along and gotten more advanced than you would think. And for such a big part of games and games history, like it's not... Like, they, they come back, every once in a while, something will come back and be kind of a big deal. Right. Uh, but for the most part, this is such a weird space commercially and such an <laughs> insular little community that, like, it's fun to explore a modern, you know, the modern look at it. And then it's also really important. But even outside of, unlike a lot of things that were really important to, uh, uh, you know, games history, uh, this one continued to evolve, I feel yeah. like. 
more than maybe some other things. It's it's kind of a Benjamin buttoning or Merlining insofar as it, it's, it's getting less commercially viable over time, mm-hmm. but getting more innovative as it goes along. So, it, so be, as opposed to starting innovative and getting less less so as it gets more commercial, it is exactly the opposite. Yes. Yeah. It'd be like <laughs> if arcades were just run by like private clubs. Now, yeah. like there were no public arcades. It was just like, you you know, once a year you could go hang out with 200 people at an arcade. <laughs> like that's what text adventures and, and interactive, interactive fiction is. I don't mean that to be dismiss- dismissive. No, it's no, just, not it's, at all. It's, you know, it's really cool. It's just super weird. Yeah. Um, and I dig it, even though I don't dig everything about it. And we'll talk about all that stuff. Yeah. Um, it's worth noting that just like every time we cover a broad subject, um, we, this is not, this is not our area of expertise. Um, this is a, you know, this is a survey course. This is a one-on-one course. Um, we're going to talk about it a little bit, but we're going to get some things wrong. And we also, you know, we're going to, we're going to give you the breadth rather than the depth, um, of this. Um, so if you want kind of more comprehensive detail, there are a lot of sources out there. Um, primarily, uh, the one that has the easiest recommendation for me is the documentary Get Lamp, um, which is creative commons. So you can watch it for free online without feeling guilty. Um, Mm -hmm. there's a YouTube that is, uh, the guy who made it doing a presentation at Google. So he does a Q&A at the end, which is kind of cool. And there's a, there's an impromptu laugh track because it's with a classroom. Uh, <laughs> so you know when there are supposed to be jokes because yeah. otherwise maybe you don't. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I mean, if Steve Moretzky's on screen, that guy's a goofball. <laughs> some, sometimes, like he's also like, he, I mean, he's very soft-spoken. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's so, uh, uh, and boy, like you should watch that documentary because <laughs> it is like, if you like seeing like the the thing I was talking about on Twitter, like, it is the kind of nerd you don't see anymore. And mm-hmm. like, there's something I'm, I'm, it sounds mean and I don't mean it to be, it's just like, there's like haircuts and mustaches and shirts that you just don't see very often anymore. And it's mm-hmm. fun to watch them. And it's fun to watch them next to computers. You don't see anymore. <laughs> like, I love looking at those spreads of just like, you know, the, um, the, the, the dorks from MIT who made the first video, you know, who mm-hmm. created this homemade video game in their, in their uh, computer made for, I don't know, crunching spreadsheet algorithms and uh, just like this fashion wise and kind of design wise. It's really fascinating. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's bizarre to think about just uh, how short that history is, but mm-hmm. how wide the gulf actually feels when you look at something like fashion there, or just uh, like the like design trends and stuff like that. There's an amazing guy in there uh, who, uh, you know, just looks like a like a great 80s or 70s nerd. And there's a part where he's talking about taking notes um, and he says, uh, he's like, yeah, like, you know, I like, uh, oh, and his, his voice is higher than any, uh, dude voice I've ever heard, but he <laughs> talks about how he really loves making his own maps and stuff. And he says, yeah, like after you make a map, it's like, you're just cutting another notch in the bedpost. And then he holds <laughs> up this, uh, this like six volume set of maps, like binders with maps oh. in them. And it's so good. Like what, yeah. what a funny metaphor to use. <laughs> just another notch in my bedpost. Oh yeah. Bam. Map for beyond Zork. Like it's just—it's so funny to me. Like, I don't mean to be mean. It's just no, very no. like it, that. That it's, phrasing is very unfortunate. Yeah, and, and hilarious. It's 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 endearing. Yes. Yeah. It is super endearing. Like it is uh, these guys, and also like they're so like uh, it, it's so clever. Like doing this is mm-hmm. this is something we talk about on the show a lot is doing a lot with restrictions, mm-hmm. and this whole genre is like a you know a lesson in that. Like yeah. that's a thing that this 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 genre does or this medium I guess does really well. Yeah, because there are tons of genres. There's a, there, there's a wide history. Yes. Um, yeah. Of uh, of text adventures, interactive fiction. Again, we're we're talking about text adventures, although IF is the is the preferred term for this. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about some history. 
Yeah. So uh, you can't have IF without natural language parsing. Uh, mm -hmm. The text parser is inextricably linked. Otherwise, you would just be picking options, I suppose. And it would be like wolf and white van. Yeah. Or it'd um, be like twine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, and this kind of started back in 1966 uh, with MIT creating Eliza, which uh, was a parser that would read your simple inputs and respond as though it was a therapist. I feel like we've talked about Eliza on here before. Y yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, because Eliza is Eliza's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. um, the actual kind of something closer to a recognizable text adventure started with Colossal Cave Adventure, which is by mm -hmm. Will Crowther. And uh, he created this to be kind of closer to his kids. He had recently divorced um, and wanted a way to bond with them. And he was a caver. So mm -hmm. he actually recreates Mammoth Cave with some kind of fantasy elements in it. Yeah. Uh, but weirdly enough, like caving <laughs> is so important to this. Like it yeah. is such a big thing. And it makes sense, right? Like you're exploring mm -hmm. an area that has uh, three dimensionality that has kind of cardinal directions you can move in. Um, and is separated into kind of natural spaces. Like you're in a space. This is what's in this space. This is what you can see. Yeah. Um, you know, there, and, there are boundaries, I guess. Yeah, the, 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 there are boundaries and definitely in caving. It's uh, there are unknown spaces as yes. well. And, yeah. and navigation is a big part of caving, which mm -hmm. turned into my least favorite part of interactive fiction. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, I can imagine why that was a, a selling point rather than a detriment mm -hmm. kind of early on. Yeah. And this is so foundational that uh, Get Lamp opens up with uh, kind of a montage of an exploration of Mammoth Cave. Yeah. 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 Which makes me think of, uh, uh, what is it, The Depths? What's that movie? That great caving oh, scary movie? Oh, the, the, the Descent, yeah. The Descent, yeah, which is, you yeah. know, anytime I can think about The Descent. <laughs> it's so good. It's uh, yeah. But, um, you know, it, it was a, it was an accurate portrayal of Mammoth Cave, except for all the elves and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and the game really got popular when Don Woods uh, kind of rewrote it to be more like Tolkien and add these fantasy elements. And from there, it spread over ARPANET across floppy disks and eventually was distributed with DOS. So, you know, we're talking early, early days for any kind of video games, let alone personal computing. But just within these small circles, it's it's a little bit of like it's like Doom 20 years earlier. And and when you uh, before it kind of got to DOS, one um, of the they they used to have it on these computers where you would have to wait a lot of time. <laughs> like you would write, you know, uh, go west, and yeah. then wait minutes yeah. for a response to to get kind of uh, typed out. And that's just incredible to me to think <laughs> about that. Um, in the kind of late seventies, uh, they started kind of taking off on these mainframes, and that's where Zork got uh, started with uh, Infocom. And uh, Zork is a very famous and remains kind of like a uh, like the the text adventure font, you know, kind yes. of thing. Um, Action Castle, the cover of it is a Zork homage. Like <laughs> um, that is kind of an er text adventure in a lot of people's mind. Yeah, and Zork is pretty similar to uh, to Colossal Cave Adventure. Honestly, you are uh, in a vague fantasy setting uh, under underneath the ground. And uh, that is where a lot of these games would stay, mm -hmm. um, you know, even as Infocom kind of took over the genre in the 80s by kind of establishing a standard for the uh, um, uh, for, for the tech. Right. Yes. They, they built kind of the, the, the gold standard parser um, and kind of established a great deal of the adventure game vocabulary. And when we say it's a, a good parser, what that means, because I, I recognize that there are people who are listening, like that makes sense to me, but maybe that doesn't mm -hmm. make sense what that means. But yeah. um, like fuller sentences, more complicated, uh, like something closer to language. So like yeah. you could have conjunctions like do this and do this mm -hmm. or do this, then do this. Yeah. And the, the machine would recognize it uh, when you use the right words mm -hmm. that, it, that it wanted. Um, you know, so it was something closer again to that D&D &D experience. Like you're talking to someone <laughs> guiding you through. A, yeah. an adventure 
Yeah, um, and you get these like oh the like the, the next best fit. If you have like if you if if there are three keys in a scene, and you say pick up key, it will say pay, do you pick up red key, blue key, or yellow key? Yes, and you know like it it prompts it forward, and it kind of just uh, a good parser, a well designed parser will kind of expand the possibility space and kind of compensate for any of your impreciseness. Right, I, I like it doesn't it never feels like to me like I mean I guess it expands it. But it's still like the possibility space being so limited is a big kind of thing with these games. True. Um, I, I mean, think, the, the, the apparent possibility yeah, space, the, I suppose, is what I mean. Gives the illusion like, of that. But the, you're right on the money with the second point where, like, it's just like so much of good parser design feels like it is just trying to shore up weaknesses on the player's part, which aren't weaknesses, mm -hmm. but just things yeah. like, um, you know, like adding a, an undo uh, mm -hmm. thing is a huge thing. And then just kind of like, how can we make this just not a dead end? Like, mm -hmm. you know, like when you when you see this now, right? Like one, one of the things that's reminded me of when I was playing these text adventures is like when I ask Siri something and mm -hmm. then Siri doesn't understand it. It's just like, would you like me to Google what is this? It's like, no, no, no <laughs> I just asked you a question. You didn't understand. The parser didn't understand. Yeah. You know, and that's what it what it feels like. Mm -hmm. No. And it, it breaks the illusion and it, it, and it makes you lose faith in the system. And that's kind of a big uh, a, a big point of contention for people who just kind of bounce off of text adventure games, especially coming to them so much later. If you don't kind of speak the language, no matter how accommodating that language can be, the the, the system rejects you. And and I think rightly so in that, like, yeah. I don't I don't blame people for bouncing off of that. Mm -hmm. Like I I uh, there's a there's a large portion of that documentary that is incredibly defensive that just talks about this in general yeah. like um how oh you know uh people who are playing need to realize they're not talking to a person you know they need to realize that uh you know they have to get into the the mindset of, of the game designer but like i i still feel like i put that on the onus yeah that is on the game designer and yeah. if you bounce you know i got fr like every text that i can't i've never played a text adventure where i didn't get frustrated because I was misunderstood by something that should have been simple. Yeah. And that's that's signaling, right? Like mm -hmm. that's that's a game thing where it's like you communicate to the player what they can do. I don't know if it's fixable. <laughs> like uh, yeah. I, I don't I think that's just an inherent weakness. It's not yeah. just like a fun quirk. This is something that is a problem with this medium yeah. that I don't mm -hmm. think has been solved. And if that's a deal breaker for you, it's not for me. But yeah. if it's a deal breaker for you, I could never blame you in a million years. Like <laughs> right. it's immensely yeah. frustrating to yeah. just be misunderstood because it's it's one of the most frustrating things that can happen to you in real life, and it happens oh, yeah. all the time in this game. <laughs> yep, it's like a you know I'm going to go play the yardwork simulator. <laughs> you know, it's just it's 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 that kind of experience at its yeah. worst. Yeah, yeah, it's uh at, at its worst, definitely. And you know, I think that I think a little bit of that. How much how much of that would be less frustrating if in every other part of the presentation the game didn't try and keep up the illusion that you were talking to somebody who was like speaking to you? Like when you when you succeed, and even sometimes when you fail, it responds in real human sentences. Like the like the the <laughs> it's frustrating when the illusion breaks because it's broken. Yeah, and because yeah. and you would give up so much by not doing that. Like, if you didn't have it talk to you, you'd lose a lot of the personality and quirk, mm -hmm. and that's a big drawing point for these yeah. games. Like, it is kind of like a media, like, it totally, like, where this is in the world makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. It's just so in its place. Like, oh, this should <laughs> be something for, like, 4,000 enthusiasts, you know, worldwide. <laughs> like, it just, it just makes sense. And that's, that's an exaggeration, but yeah. something, you know, with the, uh, uh, with the the community and the, the competitions and stuff like that, like, they're just not very mm -hmm. widespread. And it just makes sense that this is such a focused market <laughs> you know of people who like the thing they like about this enough to ignore mm -hmm. the thing that is bad about it yeah um and i just for, for from my stance as somebody who like 
doesn't play an awful lot of these, but has really liked the one the ones that he's played. Again, I understand if somebody does bounce off of it, but it's not like a okay, well, get good noob. It's more of a oh, that's too bad. Like there's some cool stuff here if you could get over that. Yeah, and I, I just I I get over it too. Like mm-hmm. I I like I like interactive fiction. Like I, mm-hmm. I'm talking about this like I'm talking about other people, but I, like I like oh, yeah, this definitely. stuff. Definitely. You know, it is just uh, I just I can't blame more than most things I like. I can't blame anybody for just being like, <laughs> why would I do that? You know, and like. It is just one of the things that was really striking about the documentary to me was just the kind of hurt feelings of that. You know, like Mm -hmm. the people who make these who are just like, oh, kids, you know, you set them down. They've got an Xbox 360. They're not going to want to play this. And like, no, that's not (laughs) what it is. It's it's not like it's, you know, there are people out there who are frustrated by it. And it's not because it doesn't have hot graphics. Mm -hmm. It's because, you know, moving around in three dimensional space works really well with a 3D camera. (laughs) Right. And a limited verb set in a way it doesn't with text and an unlimited verb set. Mm-hmm. You know, like it is just a, a leaning in, you know, a way that computers are good at representing things. Right. Um, but anyway, like that's, yeah. you know, it's just it's it's kind of fascinating yeah. in, in that respect. And, and you know, I, I told after I finished one of the games, I, I was talking to my buddy Derek and I'm like, hey, you, you know, you, do you think you have the patience now for an interactive fiction game? Because I was going to make a recommendation. He's like, no, not remotely. And I was like, <laughs> OK. And he's like, yep, I used to do that when I was younger and now I can't. And mm-hmm. I was like, that's super fair. <laughs> I'm yeah. not going to try to talk you out of that. Like, yeah. Well, no. it's it's great that you can play so many of them too. Like, oh, they're, yeah. they're they're readily available. And again, we we could, we kind of have Infocom to think to thank for that because along with that standard vocabulary and you know that better parser, they decided, hey, all of our games are going to run in a virtual machine. Mm-hmm. So just kind of like, as long as we can write this virtual machine for whatever platform it's going to be on, it'll run there. And so they made Z Machine. And like most of the most of the uh, um, kind of interpreters that you find stuff like frots on iOS or uh, I forget what it is on Mac that I played. Yeah, it's it's all just different ground up rewrites of Z machine. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, scum VM or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 really awesome that this is available everywhere. And it's like if you do like it, there's infinity of it out there. <laughs> you know so it's yeah. it's a it's an entire medium that you've only played three it's like like oh there's music i've only heard three songs wait there's <laughs> yeah. music um yeah. it's a bit like yeah. that um, go to interactive fiction database it's all there as yeah. much as you could ever want it's it's it is an embarrassment of riches yeah. um there's a real uh kind of aspect to this scene though when it was contemporary that we're missing now mm-hmm. um a really kind of important one um so when infocom came up with a game called deadline and it's the first game to ship with what's called feelies um, and feelies are awesome. And this is something that like makes me wish that I was playing games during this time, because what these essentially are, are, uh, like artifacts from the game world. Um, little like tchotchkes, like things you would get in collector's editions and, or really creative copy protection. Yeah. Um, and this would become kind of the standard for interactive fiction games because the, the, the file size, you can't put that much data on the disc. Right. If you need to convey information, like these guys just had huge stories they want to tell. They couldn't mm-hmm. fit them on the disc, so they had to kind of bleed out into the real world. And that's yeah. that permeability between those two things is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's really, really cool. Stuff like maps uh, for, for Planetfall. Um, I ended up uh, I ended up uh, reading all of the uh, material that came with that. It's like funny. It's so dense with jokes, yeah. too. Like it just uh, has like an entrance exam that, uh, again, it's 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 100 percent laughs. Yeah, it's the same thing. And, and when you're playing them now, look this stuff up, especially maps. Yeah. So like... Uh, you can take some joy in mapping yourself, and I'm not going to take that away from you if you do. But, like, a lot of these games came with maps. So mm-hmm. when I played A Mind Forever Voyaging, like, it came with a map. I ended up looking up the map because yeah. I wanted to use it. Um, <laughs> because that was a part of the original experience. Because it was part of the original experience. And, like, just the idea of taking home one of these big boxes and pulling out, like, a ballpoint pen, 
a notepad, a magazine clipping, and a map, <laughs> like the, and then playing the game is just like super immersive and awesome. Yeah, I really dig that. It's 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 like a fun kit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's a premium Kickstarter experience, but like you know, thirty years to early, like earlier, you know, oh, you yeah. get the extra stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was just kind of part of the, part of the game, and you just don't see that anymore. Yeah, um, which is a bummer. Yeah. Um, so in addition to Feely's text adventures also created graphical adventures because yes. Ken and Roberta Williams, uh, were so inspired by the, uh, adventure games they played in the, in the late seventies that they decided, yeah, let's go, uh, let's go start Sierra. Yeah. And that, and that's, we don't need to talk about how huge that was, um, <laughs> you know, and, and also has a, has tale today, you know, has a, mm-hmm. that like adventure games have come back in a way that text adventures accepting like 80 days and, uh, what is that other one with the uh, the other big text adventure? Uh, uh, sorcery, depression, depression quest. Not depression. Oh, depression quest, kind of. But that's like a twine thing. There's another yeah, one yeah. that I'm thinking of where you turn the text sideways a lot. Uh, oh no, uh, device six. Yeah. yeah, device six. With the exception of a couple of breakouts, mm-hmm. like adventure games have come back in kind of a big way. Yeah. Text adventure games have not, other than mm-hmm. uh, segue, segue. Um, <laughs> this, you know, because it's no longer commercial. Um, it has become this amateur enthusiast kind of community mm-hmm. thing. And boy, do they work very hard and do some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Like games I'm pretty sure I'll never play just because I don't have the vocabulary for it. Um, But um, just taking the form and twisting it and turning it and doing stuff that really wouldn't have been possible without these tools that got more complex too, tads and form. Uh, Twine does some really cool systemic stuff as well, even though that is more of a choose your own adventure kind of of Mm -hmm. thing. Um, that just kind of allowed these more avant-garde creations to happen. Well, it's the the systems that do that, but it's also just uh, like an indie mind space. Yep. Like it, it taking away the expectations of commercial, like early early text adventure, like when it was in its heyday, like they were ambitious and mm-hmm. super neat. But the idea mm-hmm. that like, hey, you can make something really short um, allowed you to kind of explore an idea in a smaller kind of possibility space. And maybe that yeah. idea wouldn't support what would have been you know, a text adventure that would have taken you three weeks to complete in the heyday, you know? Um, So just kind of that freedom meant that a lot of narrative neat stuff has happened. And for for me, the reason I haven't gotten super deep in that stuff is just time. Like I have that feeling of like, oh, every year there's like 20 really amazing text adventures that come out (laughs) that I won't have time to play. That just keeps happening and has happened since like 1998. And I haven't been keeping up. Yeah. So that that will bum me out and overwhelm me sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah and you know it's it's kind of one of those things that even though you can play it on your phone it uh it, it is kind of a bigger commitment yeah uh, a, a lot of the time it's not something that i can play like casually like in bed i find i know? can yeah every once in a while i'll pull out a text adventure on frots and start you know and play it for a while um mm-hmm. and and get through one but it's not yeah. uh, i can't mainline them yeah um you know and that's just kind of where I'm at, and that's my damaged attention span and and my adult responsibilities. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, that, if, you're, if you're looking for like the best of the best of these indie things, there's a really uh, there, there there's a very kind of robust and mature um, kind of competition and award culture around mm-hmm. this. The interactive fi- fiction competition, Spring Thing, and the XYXXY Awards. Uh, that mm-hmm. last one is a reference to an Easter egg and Zork um, have kind of just brought these new developments to the to the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the um, yeah, and and one of the things that has brought up having this kind of uh, uh, small um, focus and community focus. You know what it reminds me of actually um, is when we discovered the Doomwad community. <laughs> yeah, we did the Doom episode, and it was just like, oh, there's a like 
award people are making really cool new levels for doom constantly <laughs> oh shit <laughs> what, what? i'm so behind um the uh so but if you, because it is small and because the uh you know it doesn't have commercial expectations there are a lot more kind of auteurs and this was the thing during the heyday as well and we'll talk yeah. about some of those names but uh now they're kind of these modern uh masters that these people uh, emily short is a name that gets thrown around a lot um mm-hmm. andrew plotkin is another one he's inter- interviewed in that uh, documentary yeah. um and uh so these are these these uh, kind of auteurs that are really really well respected in this incredibly small pond. Yeah. Um yeah. Um so you you can get this uh you can play their games, you can play a lot of these classic games pretty much wherever you want. Um mm-hmm. we've already mentioned Frots. Frots is really great. Yeah. Um when you get Frots, which is free, it comes with 20 of the best interactive fiction games on it and then you can browse the database and just download directly onto your phone. Mm-hmm. Um many many games. Um, some of the Infocom games are actually commercially available on yes. iOS. And then there's a weird gray area. So I ended up playing uh, Mind Forever Voyaging on DOSBox because there's a second Classics of Infocom collection that is available mm-hmm. on computer but not on iOS, yeah. which meant that I couldn't download it onto iOS because maybe that's coming. Yeah. Um, so I played it on DOSBox. Mm-hmm. No, I, I played, uh, ended up playing Planet Fall on, uh, on DOSBox as well. Yeah, which is, I'm glad I got a chance to do that because it is a different experience. Definitely. Um, yeah, it just like it has these interface niceties that Frots wouldn't uh, like just wouldn't have. Yeah, and you can just type faster than you can type with your your finger, you know. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, the first time I used Frots, I didn't I like I didn't know about the abbreviations. Oh, uh, so yeah. so whenever I had to type out examine every time I wanted to examine, as opposed to just typing X. It do- it always depends on how complicated the game is too. Yeah. Uh, because sometimes I like the pace of a Frots. You know, like for certain shorter games, like the pacing that Frots enforces upon you is really nice. Um, for other games um, that are longer or more complicated, where a single typo is going to require you to retype a lot of shit. Yeah. I mean, it's less cool. Yeah. Um, and we kind of mentioned that earlier in the in the episode, these Parsley games, which are kind of these text adventures brought into the real world that are meant to be played in groups of people, sometimes very large groups of people. Yeah, they're, they're party you- games. Yeah, and you can go back and listen to uh, I believe it was Extrasode thirty one, uh, the the, uh, the the Extrasode for the arcades episode, uh, all those years ago where uh, where Gary walked me through Action Castle. Yeah, which is which I had the experience of doing with the guys, and it was really fun. Hmm. Um, Bree owns all those, and and that's uh, if we ever do DuckCon, we will definitely mm-hmm. do a, a Parsley game with with a room or two or three or all of them over the course <laughs> of a weekend because uh, yeah. they're really cool. Um, so let's talk kind of about the um, the design and the mechanics and kind of trends of this medium. Yeah. And I've got to say, uh, this section, we're going to criticize um, some elements of IF design. Mm-hmm. Please understand that we understand that the medium has actually evolved away from a lot of the bullshit. Um, but it is kind of impossible to talk about classic IF without hitting some of these tropes that really are a drag. No, nobody who is people who are more invested in this medium than we are are also critical of these things. Cool. So like it is, uh, you know, you read interviews and people, there are people who are really, really deep in the community who hate some of this shit. You know, <laughs> it's just uh, the, the, the medium group. And same thing, like old graphical adventures aren't that much better. We complain right. about old Sierra mm-hmm. uh, being inscrutable and impossible, too. So yeah. just think of it like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, adventure games are different, but early ones are primitive and kind of shitty. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah. So as I mentioned before, the game will kind of uh, describe a rumor situation to you and you have to, you know, choose what you're going to do, whether it's examining objects, looking around the environment, picking stuff up, using objects together or moving around in all the cardinal directions and up and down. Yes. And something that a modern kind of nicety in adventure games that you are going to miss is uh, the contextual kind of all purpose use. 
Mm-hmm. Um, like if you watch the um, the trend in LucasArts games from having the the Maniac Mansion board of verbs <laughs> to just like drink. a single button. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Drink, turn on, turn off as individual things. Um, and then it eventually just turns into a button that just the game knows what you want to do when you click a thing. Yeah. Um, this game doesn't do that, or this uh, medium doesn't do that. Um, right. Use is not useful, and you need to figure out what it wants you to do. So, like, you might think that you need to twist the handle, but you need to turn the handle, or maybe you need to rotate the handle. <laughs> um, you don't need to use the handle, and that can be really frustrating. Yeah. Um, especially since this became kind of a, uh, I feel like, a, a pet peeve of designers to where mm-hmm. there are some condescending messages when you use the word use in these things sometimes <laughs> that I resent. Yes. Because, yeah. I don't know, like, don't be mad at me. Like, I didn't, <laughs> I, I am the player. You know, it, yeah. is, it is your job to make this work for <laughs> me, not my job to make it work for you. Like, I, I understand that a computer needs specificity, but you know what I fucking mean. Ex- exactly. <laughs> and that feeling is what we're talking about, with that frustrating yeah. feeling of I am. Mm-hmm. And eventually you get used to it. Yeah. But... It becomes yeah, but, frustrating when you can't figure out whether it's rotate, twist, turn, or yeah. you know, revolve. Yeah, there, the, the, like the, the, there are a couple of cases in uh, in Planet Fall where it it uh, it draws a, dis- a distinction between poor and empty. Oh, and yeah. It, like chastises you for typing poor, and it's like oh, we don't pour things here. It's against the code. Like I'm so. What's the difference? Yeah, there, so... there isn't a difference. It's just mm-hmm. at the time it wouldn't have been trivial to program in both mm-hmm. responses yeah you know so i feel like there's probably less of that in in modern games but i still ran in we both played we'll get to the book report section of this episode we yeah. both played a modern game and an old game and mm-hmm. even in the modern game i played there was a little bit of this yeah um, so such get, as like date yeah. like dates it's like if you type in january 1 it doesn't get it but january 1st it will in in uh the king of shreds and patches it was the opposite for me oh wow like, january 23 worked <laughs> um, but not yeah it is a. Uh, that stuff. I mean, and he was trying to, the guy who made that was trying to uh, enforce a, a kind of aesthetic, and I get it, but it was mm-hmm. still, again, player experience is important. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So everything, since everything's handled in text, a lot of things that you're used to being uh, kept track for you won't be. Right. Um, so it is really good, you know, to play one of these games successfully, you need to take notes or, you know, and cr- create a map if there's not a map for you. And even if there is a map for you, it can be useful to make your own notes. Yeah. Um, either like node by node or keeping track of what's in which rooms. Um, if there's a game that has an inventory limit where you drop to what. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and inventory limits are one of those vestigial things that I feel like have mostly gone away. Yeah. Uh, thank goodness. <laughs> because that's, that didn't work in Resident Evil Zero. Like it was, you know, like I don't want to have to go back to a room to pick up a thing that I, I, you know, I guess that happens in every Resident Evil, but it became especially frustrating in that game where like, I just feel like I was dropping everything everywhere. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, do I need, which room do I need to, I can't travel back to one space unless I decide this because this is the living room with all the junk on the floor. You know, yeah, um, it's, it's like in, in most of these games, at least ones I play that have had that, uh, it's very much like, what's the most convenient intersection? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, that feels like a, a not a puzzle. Like mm-hmm. so many, so many points of friction in this genre don't feel like, like they do feel hostile because they don't feel like puzzles. Like if mm-hmm. I can't chalk it up to memory limitations, what's the, what's the idea there? Yeah. You know? And also, and also the, uh, um, the games that do that often make movement or any kind of action, a limited resource. Oh yeah. And so figuring out the way to optimize that becomes this, becomes this incredibly harsh meta game. And and the reason that was going on, like I say, I don't understand it. I do understand it. Mm-hmm. It is because, um, this genre more than or this medium more than any medium I can think of is uh designed to be difficult 
mm-hmm. there is a weird something that I popped up in the documentary and then also some interviews I read is that's like this idea that like early Infocom, the idea was like we are going to challenge the fuck out of you. Yeah. Um, and it became this thing where it ceased to be about kind of being fun or expressing an idea and more about kind of a contest of wills between the developers and the player. Mm-hmm. Like confrontational is such a good word for IF. Like yeah. it is, uh, you know, there's there's like a chip on the shoulders of people who are into this <laughs> and the people who made it. Yeah. And I don't say that I'm not an anti-intellectual person. You know, I consider myself to be a smart person. But the idea of just kind of like how devious and you know, ridiculous can we make this one because people are going to want to play this for a couple of weeks uh, and two to kind of like prove something like there's mm-hmm. so many quotes in that documentary. They're like, yeah, we felt like we were part of a special intellectual club. Yeah. Like we, we felt more literary and and smarter than the people around us for being into this. And like that became kind of a, a thing that fed into itself. Yeah. Um, it's also well, and, and to be a more fair interpretation like that, I think that is what I said is true. But I also think um, there's a kind of weird thing where IF is only kind of meant to be played one on one. <laughs> like it is kind of a multiplayer game or co-op game where like a lot of people play these with somebody next to them. Right. And uh, in my, you know, one of my earliest interactive fiction memories was like me and my uncle doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you can play these, you know, if you imagine these being played by the entire nerds of the science department of, <laughs> of a college, like it makes a lot more sense when you're putting that many people thinking together and you have to yeah. challenge that many people, you know? Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I don't know, like that, like that gets into stuff that is like puzzles for puzzles sake, almost, mm-hmm. where it's it, it is kind of like, you know, I, I, I pick that word confrontational for this, because so often, like, it feels like the designer is sitting right, like, like, right over your shoulder going, ah, yeah, ah, uh, 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 nope, ah, uh, uh. <laughs> and, and, and I don't like some people have more tolerance than that than than I do. But I mm-hmm. I generally don't like that. Yeah. Um, and I play these games in spite of that. And my favorite yeah. ones are the ones that don't really feel like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that even goes down to like, I have creators. They're not afraid to make their games unwinnable, right? <laughs> They've got these gotcha puzzles that are in there. And again, this happens in graphical adventures. I'm not calling this out. A lot of games will just spring uh sudden death on you, but um, you know, they're, they're just horror stories about certain games, you know, specifically from the Infocom era where, you know, you wouldn't know you were fucked until right toward the end of the game. Yeah, yeah. Early early IF is Infocom and late IF is LucasArts, <laughs> you know, as far as kind of design, because it, it's moved away from this and this is intolerable. Like it is mm-hmm. such a bad idea and it's just replay value. And again, just kind of like, nah, nah, you weren't smart enough. And it's like, was I really not smart enough or was I not like figuring out the way you specifically think, mm-hmm. you know, and like that is a gross thing that happens and and it almost doesn't happen anymore like there's this uh right. there's a, a scale that's like the um interactive fiction kindness scale or yeah. what have you um zaffs something like uh sadism scale or something like that i'll put it in the show notes <laughs> um somebody made like the 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 spectrum of how bad this can get mm-hmm. um and it is interesting to read what's uh what's at the far left uh the, the far the easiest there there are no um all there are there is no death mm-hmm. um and you can undo any action like an unlimited number of times. And what's at the what's at the hardest? Um, death comes without warning, um, and you cannot uh, like limited saves or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like one save that gets replaced every time, oh, uh, wow. or like auto save or something like that. It's yeah. like something where like once the thing comes without you knowing it was there, that's it for that <laughs> game. Like essentially like a roguelike uh, yeah. kind of thing. Hmm. Um, yeah. Um, so another thing that kind of went away um, is uh, uh, navigation by mazes. Thank God. Right? 
<laughs> yeah. And when you're talking only in text, this can get kind of this can get kind of tricky because spaces don't have to be logical. Yeah, there's a lot of like you can go north to an area and then when you go south, you don't go back to that first area. Mm -hmm. And again, this became like I can get kind of not a puzzle. Puzzle's not the right word. It, it is like a challenge. Mm -hmm. But boy, am I not the right person to take that <laughs> kind of challenge. Yeah. Well, I mean, to 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 bear the tabletop thing out, like bad IF is like uh, it's like running the tomb of horrors. Yeah, not, not, yeah. not like not bad IF, but like archaic IF. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like a a, a a difficult, tricky, a difficult, tricky IF game is like having a bad DM. Yes. Yeah. And and those mazes again got kind of stuck in that like what feels to me like an intellectual insecurity pissing match <laughs> thing, where it just kind of got more and more archaic and complicated to challenge these really hardcore people. And then it all of a sudden makes sense why this genre went away. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, uh, so, and if you like that, that's great too. Like I know that yep. people, there are people who really like navigating mazes and, and everything, but for my, to my mind, it always felt like it was testing my patience more than my intelligence. Yeah. And that's a, a blanket statement of the things I don't like in the genre. Like if you're testing how smart I am or how, you know, logical I am or these intuitive leaps or how observant mm -hmm. I am. Great. If you're yep. testing how patient I am, I, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. Um, nobody got time for that. So, but mazes, <laughs> are, like again, mazes, mazes have mostly gone away and good interactive fiction can contain mazes, but when yes. they do, it is something where there's a, a, a gimmick, like you mm -hmm. get the maze and then it becomes trivial. Like yeah. it's like, oh, I can just solve this in two moves because I figured out the thing. It's not actually a maze. Yeah. Um, and that's a, okay. You know, yeah. that, that's more just like a puzzle. Yep. Um, um, and we talked about the, t like the, the inventory limitations, uh, time limitations are, uh, are a big deal as well. Um, yep. You know, either actions or movements, uh, things like that. Uh, again, here with Planetfall, uh, they, there's a there's a timer in the upper right that kind of ticks as you do stuff. Yeah, and, and I have real mixed feelings on this too. Like it's yep. it's it's not something I really even like in, in graphical adventure games. You know, right. it's it's like this this a way to try to bring a sense of urgency to something that is a more stately kind of turn based thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's as if the entire game ran on the the tomb chapter from Gabriel Knight. <laughs> you know, where it's like, it just, I'm, I'm not super into it. Um, yeah. The, and and it, it definitely discourages the way that I want to approach this kind of game, which is, you know, leisurely. I want to I read want all to... the stuff you wrote. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. I want to see as much of this as I can. And sometimes it, it may take me walking back and forth between these two rooms. And I can, I can see a use case where the, where the designer is saying, okay, go ahead and do that, but then reload your save so you can take the optimal path. But I'm just, I'm not interested in executing it perfectly. I'm interested in understanding. Yes, me too. And, and it is, uh, you can, that sense of urgent, like there is, the alternative is the dissonance that comes from projecting a sense of urgency with the text, mm -hmm. making the player really feel it, but having no teeth right there. But I just like, that's imperfect too. I just think it's preferable. Right. You know, I would rather have there be less teeth than super sharp <laughs> teeth when I'm playing, yeah. you know, when I'm sticking my hand in the, the mouth of a crocodile. Yeah. Or like, like this one's corks. <laughs> this one. <laughs> probably, we won't be so lucky. Next yeah. time. <laughs> I might rather have it be corked. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> um, or like selective corking. Yes. Right? Yep. <laughs> Just where there are like sequences where, you know, it's testing your understanding of a space or, you know, like, yes, we'll, we'll give this teeth, but there isn't some kind of cosmic clock that's counting down. Like, I didn't even like that when that happened in Fallout. No, no. <laughs> it's it, And that's why it was patched out. You know, like it's like they, the later versions of Fallout, they got rid of the the ultimate timer, the super timer, mm -hmm. um, which which was smart. It is uh, the uh, the thing about the um, selective corking, though, is that during those moments where it is really tense, mm -hmm. when you start wrestling with the parser in those moments, it, oh, yeah. it goes up to 11. 
<laughs> like if the game is is doing everything it should be doing to be successful at creating the feeling it wants to make you feel, and then you it, oh rotate not revolve, uh, <laughs> and that takes a turn. <laughs> For me, when you have limited terms, that's incredible. Yeah, it's you fumbling uh, with your keys. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But then you run out of time. Like, you know, I have to be able to make it. If, I, if I'm if i the person who dies fumbling with their keys to set up for, am I setting it up for another player or something like that? Like, I'm the only person here. I have to get through it, you know? Um, yeah. Kind of a later uh, and, you know, interactive fiction games introduce these NPC interactions, uh, mm-hmm. which has kind of dialogue puzzles in the mix. And this, like, I mean, it should be obvious that this is way more complicated than just interacting with objects, keys and locks Mm -hmm. and stuff. So figuring out kind of who to talk to, what to ask them about how the game wants you to parse asking somebody about something is really challenging because in dialogue, it feels even like there's more limited possibilities, you know, um, and that, that these, it becomes less about these kind of finding objects and more about finding these facts. But again, keep in mind, like there's probably a lot of things you want to know from somebody inside this world. Yeah. I'm sorry. You might have to ask somebody else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like some kind of, or, or I, I can't tell you anything you don't already know. Yeah. Well, no, you, you definitely can. I know that this <laughs> is just the message that they put in as a placeholder Yeah. for when yeah. I type something you didn't recognize. And again, it's the, it's, it's, it's the illusion. If it's not perfect, then, uh, the, the, then it will feel completely artificial. It, it's an uncanny valley thing. It's like how you mm-hmm. can do a computer graphic version of a room and it looks like indistinguishable from a room. But mm-hmm. then when you put a person in there, it's like, ugh. <laughs> you know, it is it is an uncanny valley thing with with human interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are games that do this really well. Um, oh, yeah. uh, the King of Shreds and Patches, which I'm going to talk about later, like does this really well. Yeah. I think their their interactive stuff, their uh, dialogue stuff is actually great. And they, they handle it as well as I've seen it handled. Yeah. So and that's gotten better as the as the engines have gotten better, and especially as uh, storage space has gotten um, uh, just kind of more abundant. Uh, mm-hmm. early games that had uh that had uh, npcs the interactions had to be very shallow um especially if they had a bunch of them because dialogue takes up a lot of space yeah <laughs> you know that and that space that could be used to describe another hallway in a maze yeah or putting yeah, or just put in a couple other mazes <laughs> um, what about yeah. some teleporter traps in that maze <laughs> um, um and you know all these assumptions that we've talked about here uh this kind of literacy of the basic form experimental if plays with those and subverts them and throws it out the window Yes, which is, um, which is what happens when you have a medium that is, like, made by fans and for fans. Yes. You know, which is cool. Like, there, there's a basic assumption that you are familiar and dig this stuff and beat your head against it when you play these kind of new games. So that gives them immense amount of freedom to do cool shit with it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that doesn't necessarily make sense, though, if you're not one of those people <laughs> right. who, you know, who went into it knowing it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So we have four games that we that, that that we're going to talk about. We each took two, one old and one relatively new. Mm-hmm. Um, Gary, do you want to take this moment to kind of talk about some stuff that almost made the list? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that, and let's talk a little bit about our history with the genre. Let's say yeah. what we're going into this with. Um, and this is going to kind of overlap, but mm-hmm. um, it's worth pointing out. So um, there's a bunch of different kind of uh, uh, games that we thought about. Um, as we mentioned, one new, old, one new was kind of our our place we came from. Um, but there are a lot of new ones that I would recommend pretty strongly. The one that very nearly made it, and a lot of people are like, oh, you guys aren't doing that, um, mm-hmm. which, is, which is fair enough. Uh, for me, it was Anchorhead uh, yeah. by Michael Gentry. And uh, that is explicitly Lovecraftian and really great. Um, some frustrating puzzles. It has all the elements that and kind of frustrate you, but the story is amazing. Um, yeah. It is really, really worth playing. And it is like one-third the length of The King of Shreds and Patches, maybe one-fourth <laughs> the length. So it is a much easier pill to swallow. Yeah, um, and uh, that is my current froth jam. Yeah, it's good. 
It's super good, I think. Real good. Um, If you're new to the genre, The Dream Hold by Andrew Plotkin is really good Mm -hmm. uh, because this is a game that is specifically designed to have almost like a difficulty slider attached to it. And it's easiest. It's kind of a it's kind of a tutorial um, for IF. Yeah. Yeah. I have I have played that one as well. I haven't played all these ones that you have uh, Mm -hmm. here on the list, but I played that. That is good. Um, I've also played Photopia by uh, Adam Cadre. Uh, which is a good game. Um, mm-hmm. It is uh, meant it, to. It, it's more on the fiction side. <laughs> yes, yeah, and that's but that has a legacy, like as we'll discuss, because yep. I'm going to talk about uh, a mind forever voyaging, which is mm-hmm. very much on the fiction side. Of all uh, the people who would use that as a pejorative, would I be one of them? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't. I, I didn't. Just, <laughs> yeah, I didn't yeah. think you were using it as a fiction thing. I just meant that we're talking about modern IF, and mm-hmm. that trend is not necessarily modern. Right. Um, but uh, kind of Photopia is meant to to hit your heart. And it uh, does a pretty good job of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked it. I also had it built up a lot, so I thought it was a little bit overrated. But it's, yeah. it's still definitely worth playing. Yeah. Um, and there are two uh, Emily Short ones that I think are really good. Uh, Counterfeit Monkey and Galatea. Uh, Counterfeit Monkey is uh, it's uh, uh, kind of in this world where uh, language is malleable. And you have like devices that can add or remove letters uh, from words. So you can turn a card into a car by taking the D away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, something like that. So it kind of just really... Uh, makes you think about uh, specifically the text of the game in a different way. Which and is you're cool not... if you're interacting with the system entirely through text. Yes. Like, that's real clever. Yeah. And Galatea is a, is a game, uh, like the title would have you suggest, about uh, kind of interacting with this animate statue of a woman, um, and uh, it is pretty much all dialogue. And it's all one, yeah, it's, it's all dialogue, it's all one room mm-hmm. and stuff, which is really cool. Like, uh, that is something that, that Emily Short's kind of known for. Yeah. Are these kind of experiments? Um, Lost Pig is another one. Mm-hmm. Okay, have you played Lost Pig? Yes, I have. Lost Pig's cute. Um, like it's it's you know relatively that, funny. That's uh, another. Uh, that, that that's kind of another beginner centric one. That, totally. Like, absolutely. Any, any any parser that I've that I've downloaded said like start with Lost Pig. It's also um, it does another thing where it's playing with language by being entirely in this kind of idiot speak mm-hmm. uh, because you are an orc, and it, <laughs> and uh, the the parser and yourself your yourself talks in orc speak, and there are some kind of puzzles that play with you know, how you're defining the, how the player knows what this guy who is not intelligent is probably talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a cool game as well. Yeah. Um, I think all of those come with frauds. Yeah. Um, and, and if not, like all of these are like indie creations that uh, you should probably find a way to support them. I imagine a lot of these people have a Patreon, mm-hmm. um, but uh, the actual games themselves. Yeah. I know, um, I know are, Andrew Plotkin does. Yeah. Um, at the very least. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the, what is the first interactive fiction game you played? Oh boy, Zork. Yeah. Um, just because like it was in like late high school, actually. I just kind of got really curious about adventure games. That was about when I started getting uh getting into like classic LucasArts. Um uh even more so. Like I had Maniac Mansion in my past, but you know, I started playing like Monkey Island and stuff. And I wanted to go back even further because I was kind of tracing the line. Um and so Zork was the one that was kind of like ever ever present and also, you know, easily available in uh the early two thousands when I was playing these. Mm-hmm. And uh, boy, was it inaccessible! Um, I wouldn't be uh, I would I wouldn't be successful at playing uh, at playing IF until until several several years later. But but uh, definitely Zork was kind of the, my experience of bouncing off of the parser here in a, mm-hmm. in, a in a big bad way because I grew up at like the wrong time, right? You know, I was born in '87, and you know, as I grew up, you know, it was it was basically dead before I knew how to speak. Yeah. Um. And you know you're not going to be too kind of crazy excited about the, uh, you know, about slashing towards Bedlam when you're a, a freshman in high school, if you hadn't, you know, played this stuff like mist was more my speed. Yeah. Yeah. 
It is. Uh, yeah, I've never gotten very far in Zork. Yep. Like I, I've tried to, and I the uh, the kind of uh, opening lines, the icono- iconography of it, and everything yep. I think are really kind of cool. And every once in a while, out in the wild, I'll see a Zork shirt, <laughs> and I, I'm into it. Maybe not so much the Gru one, but I like yeah. the uh, the you know there's a White House or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, whatever that opening line is. That's the backdrop yeah. of my laptop because I want people who are looking over my shoulder at coffee shops to think I'm <laughs> to think I'm playing Zork. Um, but the uh, I did that stuff, but didn't get very far in it. Um, yeah, it's it's a bad intro. I think so. Um, and and like it may be a bad game. It may be too primitive to play. Yep. You know, it'd be like saying uh, you know you should definitely play the Bard's Tale, uh, which is <laughs> like you know if you like Western RPGs, and it's like that's you know there's something there's value there, but maybe that's not yeah a good game know. anymore. Just like standards become artifacts. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is truly is the soul reaver of. Fiction. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't say that to cast aspersions, but you're kind of right. Like, yeah. It, it, except. Know. Except it was never as good or as important. And uh, I would still rather play Zork. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. like Soul Reaver did not launch. Um, no. You know, whole whole genres of games by inspiring people's imaginations. Yes. Um, no, how about you? I haven't seen a Soul Reaver shirt. I don't want people <laughs> at the coffee shop to think I'm playing Soul Reaver. Who's <laughs> that fucking weirdo? Uh, um, the uh, the first interactive fiction game I remember playing had uh, some graphics, but it was just the kind where there's like a still she- scene, you know, a still shot. Yeah. Um, like, the game, like the game from Big. Yes, exactly. Um, and that's, it's, uh, I've talked about it before a lot. It's Gateway. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Gateway. Uh, I played it uh, with my uncle, and then eventually got a computer and like revisited it. Mm. Um, way into Gateway, it is a good game. It has a timer that is can make things kind of tough. Um, you don't have a you don't run out of time, but the game runs on a clock. So there is a puzzle element of like being at the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. Which even then, you know, that's something that impressed the shit out of me in Maniac Mansion. Yeah. Um, but it was way more sophisticated and was just made the whole world feel super alive. Yeah. Um, I have a very distinct memory of uh, solving a puzzle mm-hmm. for my uncle. Um, did I talk about this on the show or did I talk about this elsewhere? No, no. Um, um, where he was, there's a puzzle in that game where you are talking to a holographic, you're in a hollow deck and you're talking to a holographic bartender. And uh, my mm-hmm. uncle was beating his head against it, trying to, uh, to figure out what to do. And I suggested giving the bartender his own drink back, um, which is the solution <laughs> to the puzzle is you get the holographic bartender drunk. Um, but my uncle's like, that's stupid. And then tried it. And then it was the right thing. And it wasn't like, that wasn't, you know, that was, and I was like, yes. And then later he was playing Shinobi on master system. And I was like, why don't you use fire against the fire boss? He's like, that's stupid. But that was the fire boss's weakness because master system. Um, and, uh, and I was on a real roll and was probably intolerable uh, as a little shit. But, uh, yeah, I have, I have a lot of affection for gateway. This this uh this totally doesn't count, but I but I remembered uh, my first experiences with the text parser. Actually, mm-hmm. was playing uh, the like early what is it uh, VGA I think um, versions of Sierra games. Mm. Um, so yeah. Police Quest and Leisure Suit Larry. Yeah. Um, you know you you are kind of maneuvering characters around, but yeah, you have to type stuff in, and, and you know like the, like those are text adventure games just with a graphical overlay and a car- you know, and an avatar that you move around. Yeah, those those totally count. Yeah, like that is uh that's that's super similar. Yeah, considering Leisure, Leisure Suit Larry started a softcore uh, or softcore adventure. Yeah, which I have never played <laughs> and shan't. I, I just need the cover. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> Roberta. Yeah. Ah, um, be, be my princess, Roberta. Mm. Um, <laughs> Come play with me, my lord. Yeah. Please. Yeah, just, uh, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Are you a boy or a girl? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah <sighs> so let's talk about the, the four that we're bringing to the table here. Yeah. Um, and this is going to be, uh, I, I don't, can't speak for you necessarily. 
Um, I'm not going to go beat by beat through these. I'm going to kind of talk Definitely. about broad swaths and generalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because we're not doing totally the WAF treatment on any one of these. And because the game is just the story for the most part. So like mm-hmm. calling out the puzzles and what generally happens rather than talking about individual dialogue things is yeah. probably best practices, I think. Yeah. So we're going to do these chronologically, which uh, works out very well because uh, because they interleave. Mm-hmm. So that's good. And we're going to start with Planetfall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me about Planetfall. Cool. <laughs> yeah. oh, and, so, and I didn't play this, so I'm going to ask cool questions. Mm-hmm. But mostly, you know, yeah. listen to Cole. Yeah, this is this is the sad part. We intended to play a little bit of each other's games, and then uh, I, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I, I played um, about a half hour of Slouching Towards Bedlam. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead of doing that, I took that time I had budgeted and played Silent Hill 1 to prepare for the next Watch Out for Fireballs. Yep. So, so think- And also, uh, the King of Shreds and Patches, when it says it's novel length, it's true. So it is <laughs> It is the long one of the longer games I've played <laughs> In, in quite a while um and definitely the longest interactive fiction game i played so it took way more budget than i thought yeah thought it would but that's what happens yeah, it's, yeah i mean it's a good novel but it's like imagine if half of gabriel knight was the museum chapter from gabriel knight 2 there's a lot of just reading and world building um in that game so yeah so uh yeah planet fall this is uh, an early example um not like 70s early but it was uh written in 1983 by steve moretzky this was his first game for uh for infocom and uh this kind of carries his lightness and humor what he brought to it he was a real uh, kind of like a ron gilbert kind of figure at that like, company well kind of because mm-hmm. he did he did like trinity he did uh, he's the guy who did a mind forever voyaging which is not funny mm-hmm. at all like oh. he he contains multitudes he's not like a an all-purpose goofball yeah, um, he had a good sense of humor, but then also <laughs> was really serious and political at times as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is a sci fi game, like like in a really like classic, like Buck Rogers kind of style. Right. Like it feels a little bit like this led into Space Quest because you essentially play a, a space janitor mm-hmm. um, and you're kind of wandering around this abandoned uh, kind of research station. And I got to tell you, like at times it's pretty scary because you're kind of ex- like the, the atmosphere and the way that it's written makes it feel like something is about to like jump out from around the corner. Or this place that is abandoned will suddenly not be very much abandoned. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's it feels pretty ahead of its time because of that kind of atmosphere there. Um, you know, I when I think of early, early IF or text adventures, I think of, you know, again, like Tolkien-esque stuff. You know, even just like down to the Hobbit adaptation uh, that, that they did in text adventure games. Uh, but uh, Planetfall kind of takes that. Um, puts it into a new genre, and you'll see that a lot. Like I think two of ours are Lovecraftian, uh, <laughs> Lovecraftian uh, genre fiction kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and gameplay-wise, uh, there are two cool things about Planetfall. A, it has uh, what is considered to be one of the best NPCs in early IF and in early uh, k- k- kind of uh, video games. Um, and also, it defies the usual text adventure trope because uh, our old friend Item Chaff returns. So hmm. there are a bunch of items that uh, that the game throws at you and a bunch of puzzles uh, that it expects you to solve. And it expects you to kind of figure out what is important and what is solvable. Do you, do you feel like it worked? Uh, not like particularly, it, no. You feel like um, shitty red herrings or did it feel cool? It's like so the, like the, 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 there are times when it does work, like when you're when you're in a uh, um, when you are in a like supply closet and some of the equipment is obviously broken it's like okay well i'll I'll take this um sometimes it just gets you to waste turns um on stuff that you obviously can't fix so it very much does feel like it is trying to get you to save and reload um a lot so it is it is uh mostly not as successful 
Yeah, it, it seems like that would that runs contrary to having the uh, the time limit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, what, uh, what what about the story? Yeah, yeah. So you start out on the ship that gets uh, that gets blown up. Um, and before before it gets blown up, it's kind of a relief uh, that that you do end up escaping uh, because your commanding officer Blathers is kind of like hemming you in. You can't explore this ship because he's a real like Colonel Clink kind of figure, um, keeping you keeping you in check. Um, but pretty soon, like I think like three turns in, uh, the ship is hit by some missiles, and so you have to escape in this pod. And it really introduces the um, you just kind of like I, I'm gonna say bullshit, and that's totally uh, like probably unfair fair but uh you know just like you walk in and you have like a turn to maybe get in the safety net but you have to figure out like okay it's not where safety net it's not use safety net it's like move on to safety net or mm. something like that otherwise when it ejects you're going to hit against the wall and break your neck bummer <laughs> so you have like two turns to figure out what this is and when you land you only have a couple of turns to figure out the order of operations for opening the door and getting out of the pod um, and God help you if you don't take the survival kit, because that has the nutritive food goo that you need in order to uh, uh, feed yourself until you can unlock the the, the galley. Do you have a, a timer that is uh, like a, a, you know, food and water timer as well? Oh, yeah. They're, okay. they're like, like, like hunger is a, is a definite one and you'll die. You also have a sleep timer. Hmm. Um, which is super annoying because uh, as you go along, you'll get the little message like, "Oh, you're 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 getting you know you're getting sleepy, you're getting faint, all those kind of things." And if you do, um, if your sleep timer runs out, uh, you don't die; you just kind of like fall over. Um, but every time you sleep, you drop all of your shit. Oh no! <laughs> so if that happens um, when you have full inventory and uh, you drop everything down, uh, you can't type "get all." Uh, you have to remember what you had on you when this happens. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is like, so like when I say this is early, this is early. Yeah. Um, it's like super mechanical and it's a bunch of stuff that really doesn't feel like it works that well together because like, I want to explore this. Like it's a really interesting world. This, this ruined station. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but you have those timers and you're kind of set free in this mostly abandoned place uh, where there's a whole bunch of equipment that you have to repair. Um, and kind of air, whole areas of the, uh, of the of the station that you can't get to unless you find these cards. So the first order is to you know find these key cards, and you're looking for the administration buildings um, in order to uh, in order to dig through desks and get them. Um, there's a there's a big fuck you puzzle where you get a ladder um, to help you cross a gap, but if you don't remember to extend the ladder, um, it just drops. Oh geez, and then you <laughs> just lose the ladder. <laughs> yep. Oh boy, that's rough. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and around this time, you end up activating this uh, this robot that uh, just kind of, you know, just kind of fell where it was standing. And this turns out to be Floyd. OK, uh, this is the aforementioned really good NPC. And they made a they made a conscious decision, like instead of putting in a bunch of shallow NPCs, they're just like, you know, villagers who say, please save us from the so and so. Like he has a whole bunch of dialogue. I think it ends up being like 10 written pages, which is a really big deal. Like that's more than any other game had given to a single character, um, let alone um, any, you know, all the characters combined. Um, but mostly he's comic relief. Um, there are a couple of poignant moments, but he, you know, he's like a wackiness delivery method where, you know, as you move into a new place, when he follows you in, he starts doing like what are essentially idle animations. Okay. Um, and he just says, oh, he pulls out a crayon and starts writing his name on a wall um, or stuff like that. Um, he responds to the things you do. Like if you type save, he says, hey, are we going to do something dangerous? No, that's pretty fun. I like <laughs> yeah. that fourth wall shit. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 real good. Uh, but once you um, kind of wake him up, he'll start giving you like a little bit of information about the about the station as it goes. Um, a lot of the puzzles revolve around repairing this equipment, and um, uh, with this, this actually gets you different endings as well. Okay. So depending on how much you do, like there's a there, there's a straight line path that you can take without repairing a whole bunch of stuff that leads to uh, kind of everything being doomed. Um, you you finish the game, but it's not really uh, like that successful of a of a completion. If you do bring all the all the systems back online, it gets you the best ending where you know you're crowned king and the redhead kisses you and all that. Um, are there are there shade are there gradients between those two things? Yes, there are. Okay, yeah. Um, but uh, I ended up getting I I kind of deferred to a guide toward the end because I died so much. Mm-hmm. It's like I need to find a path through this, so I ended up getting the best one, which is really really wish fulfillment fulfillment e. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, repairing a lot of these uh, a lot of these uh, systems around the place uh, kind of involves like stuff that's not really that logical. Like there's a, like the comm system, you have to power it by by dropping in certain chemicals to power the batteries, um, and this involves walking across the entire map for a random number of times, anywhere between two and three, actually. Um, and uh, <laughs> uh, walking across drains a significant uh, portion of your health. Okay. You, you have to you have to make a note of or memorize which color of light was flashing. So when you go to the dispenser with your flask, which you can only empty but never pour, um, <laughs> you know, then you have to walk it all the way back. And so you know, if you haven't opened the kitchen by this point, then uh, then you're fucked. Okay. Yeah. That sounds bad. Yeah. Um, this is kind of a medium sized world for IF2. Like I've seen, I've seen bigger maps, uh, for a lot, a lot of this, but there are two bases. There's one that's kind of like crew quarters and the other one that's the, the Lawanda complex, uh, which is where all the labs and stuff are. Um, and something else that it does, I forgot to make a note of here is that all of the text that you read is in kind of this pigeon language. Okay. I'm not that like, but it's uh very like obviously written out in like phonetic. So it's barely even a puzzle to like figure out what it said because like machine is spelled M-A-S-H-E-E-N. But okay. the idea is like this is kind of a, a sect of humanity that splintered off and uh, kind of developed language in a different way. Um, but um, yeah, you go over to that complex and you fix a couple things. I'm going to speed through this a little bit. There's a moment where Floyd points out like, hey, um, uh, this this message that we sent out um, says everybody on this planet uh, started dying because of this plague. Oh, you get this. This is this is another timer um, that you can stave off the plague with uh, with with medicine. And um, he says, yeah, the computer was uh, uh, working on a cure while all the scientists here went into cryo sleep. But the computer is broken. We need to fix it. In order to do that, you need to go uh, miniaturize yourself. But the key is through this Resident Evil lab full of uh, full of mutants. And so, you know, he says, well, they're going to come and kill you, but I can go through and withstand their attacks. And Floyd sacrifices himself. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. do you have to ask him to? Is it a puzzle or does it automatically kind of take over? It, it like it automatically kind of takes over. He says, "I'm going to go do this. You, um, you know, you know, open the door, keep it closed, wait and listen for me to tap three times. Um, if you wait too long, then he'll be torn apart and you can't get in. Um, you have to open the door and then close it right away, or else the mutants come out after him." Okay. But like, this is the huge emotional moment that was like spoiled in the ads because it was like, "Can a computer make you cry?" Uh, yeah. And it- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so here's here's this goofy robot who scrawls his name on the wall and you're like singing the the like the, the ballad of the star-crossed minor to him as you like close his eyes with your fingers <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i think it's kind of rad that you you shrink down in the game oh yeah like no, that's shrink- pretty sweet 
<laughs> you shrink down. Um, and uh, the thing that is keeping the the the, the, um, the computer from working is a little speck on one of the diodes, which you have to shoot off with a laser. But God help you if you don't turn the laser down. Otherwise, you'll destroy the diode. Oh, like it just starts at a high setting? Yep. So no. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yep um and so you shoot the spec off and then uh and then a microbe attacks you so like you're really tiny and here's this gigantic microbe who is described as this lovecraftian horror that regenerates every time you shoot him so you have to heat you have to crank the laser back up shoot enough times that the that the laser gets really hot and is ready to overload and then throw it at him he eats it and then he explodes and then he okay yeah and like the, the, that actually is hinted at pretty well because it says like oh he's healing every time you shoot him and he's obviously trying to eat the laser okay <laughs> so so like it, it does it does end up working out but that, like that, uh, that seems like if so but the the problem there and i didn't play it so you can tell me if this doesn't articulate the way that i think it does mm-hmm. is is there anything that signals that the laser is going to overheat that doesn't result in you making the game unwinnable because it seems like the fact that the laser is really hot is thing you have to turn down or no to turn down if you actually mm-hmm. find out that the laser is can can overload or can can run hot like that you've made the game unwinnable for yourself so is um, that like it, a save load trap kind of thing not that not that i noticed like it actually is pretty kind in saying it's overheating but it's still functional okay gotcha yeah Gotcha. And so you just kind of have to like the sense that I got when I was playing it was you have to it says like it's it's so hot you can barely hold it. Okay. But like like but it's but it's still working. I don't know if it, if it would explode if I if I kind of overfired it. Um but uh but like th- throw is a verb that they've introduced. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yep. But uh when you're when you're brought back up, um when you know when you're brought back to regular size, it routes you in, into the bio lab with those mutants. And so you have to go through this chase scene, um, remembering the way to kind of the cryo lab. Um, and, uh, like it's pretty tense actually. Like, you know, I'm very happy that I made my map. And when you go up to the cryo lab, if you've brought all the systems back online, um, this, uh, the, the beautiful red haired princess Veldina, uh, wakes up and thanks you for saving her race and makes you the king of the planet, um, and blathers your erstwhile, uh, um, you know, just kind of nemesis is demoted to your personal toilet attendant. And then, ah, psych Floyd's not actually dead. He has been repaired and he brings you all the unused items saying, Hey, maybe they're going to be used in the sequel. Weird. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, I don't know if this was successful. I dug a lot of the flavor and the personality of it, mm-hmm. but I mean, I hope that it comes through in my tone that like the systems just don't work. <laughs> it's it sounds really gotcha. Yeah, like to me in a way that I don't dig. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, I didn't play it, but just hearing you talk, like if you were just telling me about this game, I don't know what you've been playing, kind of thing, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be like, yes, let's do it. <laughs> you know, like that sounds bad to me. <laughs> Yeah. And so, like, I can see they kept the world small to make it so that the, like, the timers were not going to be that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the optimal path through this is pretty short. And, like, most of the steps I ended up taking were actually in order to, you know, get to places where I could kind of recharge those timers. Okay. Um, and if you knew what you were doing, you could really kind of, like, limit that. But, like, all of those systems that are, like, limiting your exploration, that still sucks, even if the world isn't that big to explore. Yeah, because it still makes you feel like like you're doing something you shouldn't be doing when you're exploring it. Right. You know, you're doing something not optimal. You're not solving yeah. the game. 
Like if I if I step into this room that you know I know like I don't know if I'm supposed to go in there yet, and I'm on my way to a place that I know I am supposed to. Like that step and the step back feels like I'm going to collapse of hunger two steps before something that I need to get to. Yeah, and if that does, you won't know now. Like you can fuck yourself over many turns before actually fucking yourself over without knowing it, mm-hmm. and that that's kind of bad signaling. Yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's Planetfall, and it is super early ass IF. It sounds like it. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, it is good to hear. So the next game we're going to talk about the the one I played, A Mind Forever Voyaging, which is two years later, nineteen eighty five. Uh, doesn't do any of those bad things, and yeah. it is out of everything. Uh, this is actually, is it? Yes, this is the. This is my favorite interactive fiction game, oh, wow. um, and this is the one that I would most recommend uh, anyone play. Um, it's really phenomenal and it is, uh, it doesn't do anything shitty. It is a pre predecessor to like modern walking sim kind Mm. of games. There are, there's one, there there are actually there are, so there are two puzzles in the game. Um, they don't come until the end, but there's still a mechanic leading up to it. Similar Mm. to, um, in walking sims, that kind of thing where you, uh, the mechanic is just like how well do you explore? Um, and that actually does have an impact, but you're doing it to get the story. Um, but yeah, it is, it is, you know, genuinely kind of beautiful and great. Um, so, uh, mine, and I'm going to spoil it for you and, but I still think <laughs> you should play it Cole, Cause I think you'll like yeah. it. Um, and it's short the, um, so mine forever voyaging, um, is the other side of Mretzky. And I know he did, um, other games where this is the case, and this is meant to be like a really scathing kind of, uh, polemic. Um, you know, this was 1985. He's kind of in the depths of, uh, Reagan America. <laughs> and uh, the idea here is you play somebody who has been uh, digitized. Um, you've been kind of transcended or, or singularity. You are now a computer. <laughs> and uh, the short story of how you got there, um, or I, I'm sorry, let me uh, retake that because you, you were never a person. You just think you were. Um, you are an AI. And <laughs> uh, the story of that is in one of the feelies that you get with it. Um, <laughs> the reason this, it's not presented in the game, and that's why I was confused for a second, but I did read the, you can read the short story online. Um, and you work for an institution that uh, is doing research on something called the plan. Um, and the plan is a political movement. Um, and you get into this and it's up to you to kind of, uh, you have different modes. When you're in computer mode, you just kind of transfer your consciousness to different rooms in this facility. Oh, wow. Um, and you're just like, go to this room and then you see what's in the room, but you can't really interact with things um, because you are just a camera on the wall, but you can, you can find these databases. You can go into the library and read like news stories and stuff. And you kind of learn that, uh, you know, economically the United States is not doing great. Um, and there's this plan that has a lot of kind of hallmarks of weird kind of Reagan Thatcherism and is resonant today. So these kind of, uh, we need to, uh, close up, uh, our walls for immigration. We need to, uh, deregulate business, things like that, like very conservative, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, kind of ideas. Um, and approval is just going through the roof. Like people, people are into the plan. You find um, these, uh, these kind of polls and stuff. And you're this researcher and the, your creator um, says, hey, we have a simulation. It's 10 years in the future from now. We want you to check it out. Hmm. So you go into simulation mode and it is this small town called Rockville, Rockville um, South Dakota. And you just are there to explore this town. Um, you are simulated. It is you have a wife. You have uh, a family in this town, and it is like a fully functioning kind of small town. Um, the game place t- takes place in the future. It's like 2030, but hmm. ten, you know, it still feels pretty pretty normal at this point. Yeah. 
Um, and you have the main mechanic of this game is turning on and off a like recorder. So you go around uh, saying like record on, record off, and you have a limited amount of space on your tape before you have to go back into the the real world and empty it. Oh, so that's your that's your resource. That's your resource. Um, well, there's also the, like the game runs on a clock. Um, so and that's more just being there at the right time to do things. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, your your wife is home or she's sleeping at certain times. Or, oh, so it's uh, like a like a last express kind of thing. Yes. Um, and the first time you go in 10 years in the future, you are just meant to kind of capture and things are going like really well. Um, you go through and it is, you know, uh, jobs are up. Everything is going <laughs> pretty good. Um, and you get the sense of this town, like the town is huge and you have this real, like, oh, I'm going to go record myself, go to the zoo. I'm going to record myself going to the movies. Um, I'm going to record myself reading a newspaper. They give you a suggestion of actions that you can take. Um, he says like, here's some things I would try to do. Um, but you, and you, I think you have to do, there's some kind of encounter that's like how many thing pertinent things that I capture. Um, I don't know if they're weighted differently. Or anything mm-hmm. like that. There's kind of some behind the scenes stuff I don't know. Um, eventually, after you capture enough stuff in ten years in the future, you come back and uh, your your creator, this guy who who you know is more or less your father in this, um, is you. And you can find out some stuff about him. He is kind of a a liberal pinko guy. And he says, "Well, let's uh, let's dig a little bit deeper." Um, and he sets it up to send you twenty years into the future. Oh wow! And you start um, essentially what the game is is you jumping. 10 years, 10 years into the future and seeing the results of this plan that had kind of short-term gains destroy the world mm-hmm. um, in this town that you've spent all this time getting to know. Um, so you're 20 years in the future and you start seeing um, your, the, the idea is the, what the game wants you to figure out is how can I, with a limited amount of storage space, how can I check the pulse of this world? Mm-hmm. And you do it through really cool things. Like you do it by um, going into a church and you do it by watching a movie and you do it by reading a newspaper <laughs> and you do it by, by checking in with your wife um, and seeing how she's doing, you know, seeing how family yeah. is doing. Um, it's like checking on the culture and the economy to see what the, like the ripples are yes. from this, from this current movement uh, in a small town, you know, in, yeah. in like on the ground floor. Um, and you start seeing these kind of like uh, these troubling elements. Um, there's like this, this church that is, that is showing up that is kind of troubling. That's kind of cultish. Mm-hmm. Um, there are uh, more and more kind of government uh, kind of check-ins, like there's this uh, this enforcement kind of thing, and you can if you're if you're at home at the right time, or if you spend enough time like talking to your wife, they bust in and kind oh, wow. of you know search your place really roughly, and then uh, apologize, and then ten years in the future they don't apologize, they like yell at you, <laughs> and ten years in the future that it gets worse. Um, so you're just kind of uh, charting this decline, yeah. um, you know, and you go back and you 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 tell your guy like, hey, I have something to tell you. He reviews the notes and he says, hey, that's not quite enough data. Maybe you need to check even further into the future. Um, there's one frustrating thing, um, because they, uh, you have to record a certain amount of space or have a certain amount of turns go by before it'll allow you to go even further into the future. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't figure it out for the life of me. I was like, oh, I showed him the thing. He said to check 30 years in the future. Why can't I, what do I need to do? (laughs) And it's just an, um, waiting, you know, just doing enough turns. I ended up having to look that up, which was frustrating. Mm -hmm. Um, but you go back and things get worse and it gets, the writing is really dark. Um, you know, as you get worse, like it's like, oh, um, you go down to the, uh, the courthouse and, uh, crime, like crimes that you had seen previously, you know, you'd seen a court case for are now executable. Like they're now death oh, penalty wow. worthy. And then eventually you go to the stadium and where people were playing sports, like now they're public executions. Um, you go to the zoo and there are kids like playing there and then you go 40 years in the future and there are kids like the cages, there are no, uh, or like there are kids who are torturing animals through the cages. 
And then 10 years after that, they're doing that for an audience, um, you know, and you just you get to know this little town and just watch it degrade in every possible way. Right. Um, and at the same time, you're getting told this little short story of like your family where um, your son uh, gets kind of caught up in this church and eventually comes back and arrests, you know, your wife um, uh, for like for discouraging her from joining the church. Like you get to see these little scenes. Yeah. Um, and, and how they articulate. You can die in a lot of really great ways. But when you die, you just go back to the real world. Um, um, can, can you can you start can you start the simulation over again? Yeah. Yeah. You can always go back. There are no fail conditions until the end. Um, so you, uh, like there's a thing where you find out when you get there that, um, if you try to use your ration card twice in one day, uh, mm -hmm. you, you get executed, um, and you, you, you get there and you're hungry and it's like, oh, the simulation version of me hasn't eaten for like a week. Like mm -hmm. you find that out. So you go to get your ration thing. You get the, the, I'm still hungry message. You try yeah. to do it again and you get arrested and you get, you know, executed because that's an executable crime for years in the future. Wow. Um, so and this you, really does feel like game is persuasion. It's a game as persuasion, and the coolest thing about it is it's like citizen advocacy as a game because uh -huh. a lot of what you're doing is being there to, like, capture police brutality mm -hmm. and capture these things to kind of make this case. Um, and that's the thing it most reminded me of. I was like – afterwards, I was like, oh, like, you know how the same way I want uh, Telltale's Venture Brothers? It's like the best idea I have that, like, <laughs> I have no power to make happen. Make this a walking simulation simulator with the same camera from Sonic Dreams Collection. Oh, yeah. Like, gamify this kind of, like, I'm a simulation doing citizen advocacy. Like, I need to capture mm -hmm. these these moments of police brutality and yeah. these kind of, you know. And that's so relevant now and, and <laughs> resonant now. Um, yeah. It, it was just really, like, really amazing. Um, so things get worse and worse until eventually it's literally, like, packs of roving dogs. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, the, you, you find a sign where it's like, this is, you know, this family's territory. All outsiders will be shot. Yeah. Um, things like that. And it just, it, things have gotten so shitty. You, uh, you go back, um, you tell your guy, and he's like, okay, this is enough information. I'm going to Washington. Um, you wait around for him to get back eventually, and the government actually shuts down, starts putting the facility on lockdown. It's like, hey, we're doing this. Like, that has been faked. This is liberal. You know, we can't let this get out. Um, right. This is the, uh, the liberal media. And there are kind of three puzzles um, that happen here, and they're really cool because it does one of my favorite things, which is take the verb you've been using the entire game and recontextualize it. Okay. Um, so you, you're, again, you are now doing things as the computer. Uh -huh. um, so when the government agent is threatening your boss, you need to be there and you record it. Um, so this thing that you've been sent just to go into the simulation and record things to send your boss, uh -huh. you never, like you have to make this intuitive leap that you can record as the computer as well. Okay. Um, so you record that and you get like evidence of the, the government official threatening him. Well, like, um, thre like threatening him and doing the cover up. Yes. Yeah. Threatening him and doing the cover up. Yes. Um, and then, so you have that footage, um, they actually send some people to go shut, shut you down, um, mm -hmm. the computer. Um, and the way you, uh, this is pretty non-intuitive actually. And I used to walk through here. Um, the way that you, uh, stop them is turning off the ventilation. So you make mm. them all asphyxiate while they're trying to shut you down. <laughs> yeah, um, you, you ghost trick it. Yeah. And, uh, but then ultimately what you do is you interface with the news network and project to the world, mm. um, that, the government is trying to shut this down and this is what we're going to do. And then your, your, your dad or your father is just like, you know, this is per, you've done everything we can't, like you are a great human being mm -hmm. um, here. And he uploads you into a version of the simulation that is like with the new data, that is a utopia where you will spend the rest of your life with your wife and family. Oh, that's um, ultimately going <laughs> off into space. Like it is, huh. uh, you know, the first kind of commercial space flight, you end up becoming <laughs> like wandering the universe huh. and stuff. It's really touching and great. And just that idea of like, my job is to observe 
and mm-hmm. see how this world changes in this kind of confined space, but chronologically, yeah. was really ahead of its time and cool. Um, yeah, that's that's great. Like I I'm, loved it. I'm kind of over AI narratives right now. Mm-hmm. You know, like Soma didn't really do anything for me, but like this this sounds great. It was really good. Yeah. Like it is uh it it was uh really, really ahead of its time and is kind of an unqualified recommendation for me. Yeah. Like it is really playable. It doesn't do like there's so little inventory. There's like one annoying thing where when the world is getting bad but isn't quite post-apocalyptic like Fallout style, you can get mugged. If you get mugged, you lose the keys to your apartment, which cuts you off from checking in on your family. Oh, so you miss the big scene where your son comes to arrest your mom. And I think that's probably worth like you know a large amount of atrocity points or however many points you have to get to right. convince people. But there are always other things you can do. Yeah. Um, like there are always, uh, and you can do things that they they give you the suggestions. Like here are eight things that we would do, but there are other things there. Mm-hmm. Like they never say go to the zoo, but you go to the zoo and you get these like really creepy scenes of like. You know, uh, things like there are like places if you go into the wrong area uh, at one point, there was like a, a set of um, like it gives you actually gives you a gameplay thing where it's like there are some boards here leading into the stadium. You can probably squeeze in, but, you know, it might be dangerous in there. And like kids kill you like it's been taken over by by more or less feral children who kill you with rocks. Right. Um, like it's just it's a lot of really cool detail that the game it's up to you, like which ones you experience. Mm hmm. And it just feels like a really good way to do replayability as opposed to just making me fail and, and right. kind of shuttle run it. Well, it's it's a great way to uh, to like use the game clock. To, yeah. That stuff happens whether or not you're there, and it's up to you to determine where you ought to be. Like Last Express feels even more apt Yeah, at this point. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's great. And it sounds like such an inversion of like the regular time travel narrative. Yeah. Which is like, oh, you know, I'm going to go back and then try and set right what once went wrong. Um, you know, but here it's just kind of an, exor- an, an, an inexorable march forward and things are only ever going to get worse. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And and it's expli- I love that it's explicitly political. <laughs> like, yeah. I really like that it is and and that I agree with it. So, I mean, that, that's I mean, that's part of it. It's like yeah. it's explicitly political in a way that I, you know, matches my own anxieties. But mm-hmm. um, he it's interesting because there's interviews with him with uh, where he talks about how he wanted it to be this really incendiary uh, kind of kind of thing. And it didn't get the reaction he wanted. Like this is a low seller for Infocom. Yeah. It's like a cult classic. People I, like it, but I can imagine why it flopped with interactive fiction audiences is, because there's such a high concept. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, a super high concept. It's not hard. There are mm-hmm. three puzzles in it. You know, like it's like you have to, it is really, it's like gone home. Like it is, you have mm-hmm. to redefine what you think of gameplay as to kind yeah. of get it. Um, so he, after this, he made leather God- goddesses of Phobos because he wanted to get a reaction. <laughs> right. Like he was like, sex will get a reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which is such a funny, funny thing, but this is, it's such a like product of a voice and of a, uh, a perspective. Yeah. Uh, like I really loved it. It's, it's really, really good. Well, that, that sounds great. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> super, super good. You know what it sounds like? I, I know you're not a, St- a Stephen King fan. It sounds like a 11, 63. Okay. Um, which is, it's a story about a guy who's sent back in time to stop the Kennedy assassination. Uh, the except, book from Gone Home. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Um, except uh, it's super interesting because, like, the guy, like, he's not, like, sent right back to, you know, like, like Dooley Plaza. He's sent back five years before it, and so he has to live his life, oh, kind of okay. knowing, knowing what's going to happen and, like, lead up to this moment. Yeah, like, time quick. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no, that's that, that sounds great. It is an unqualified recommendation. It runs really well in DOSBox. Um, it is, uh, it's not going to fuck you over. Yeah. Um, I think that if you're listening to this, you should read it. Nice. Yeah. So um, 
tell me about slouching towards Bedlam, which I imagine is slightly more successful for you than than Planetfall. Oh, much, much more so. Okay. Um, this is a really cool game. It was uh, written in uh, 2003. Um, it, it's it's funny. We say written, but the, the, the creators of I have called themselves implementers. Hmm. Yeah. Um, something I found up, I found out my re- in my research. Uh, but it was written by Star Foster and uh, Daniel Ravapinto. Um, and uh, I looked on IFDB. This is the only one that I see that they've done. Actually, that's interesting. I know, right? And this is like this. This is another one of those that comes with frauds. So it's yeah, very they're... well, very well regarded. Yeah, people, people like this one. I've, I'd heard about it before we started doing it for the decided to do it for the show. Yeah. Um, but this is um, a very non-standard IF game, actually, um, just in terms of structure. Um, there's very little in the way of puzzles. It's more figuring out how to use devices. Uh, but it's kind of broken up into these two parts where the opening is all about this open-ended investigation. Um, and the last act, like really the last real portion of the game, is deciding kind of what to do with that in this mm-hmm. kind of Victorian steampunk kind of world. Um, and it's mechanically subversive um, in, in other ways than that, but it's kind of, it's a, it's a stronger if I mention it as it goes along mm-hmm. because it's a big part of the reveal. Okay. But, uh, but, but as the title kind of suggests, you're playing as uh, kind of the, the doctor, this doctor Xavier, who's the head of uh, Bedlam uh, insane asylum in Victoria. Or for gifted youngsters. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the Bedford and Tate Asylum for Gifted Youngsters. Yeah, I, I, I could not see him as a bald man yeah. in a wheelchair. <laughs> uh, but, uh, oh, well. Um, and uh, it starts out with this with this kind of classic Lovecraftian setup where you're listening to this phonograph that it's, it's you. Like, you find out, like, okay, like, he's talking about being the head of this, of this insane asylum, kind of giving this what-have-I-done speech, talking about how I know too much, nothing will ever be the same, I don't know what I'm going to do next, etc. But this is, like, it starts you in media res mm-hmm. um, with this. And uh, this is a very strongly horror-themed game um, because... Uh, some terrible things are going to happen. Like it takes place in a classically terrible um, uh, insane asylum at that point. But um, you have to um, kind of explore your office and discover two things. First, you have a little a little robot buddy. Uh, that's the commonality between, between the two of them. Triage, who's this uh, kind of like roving black box who, when you point a wand at something, it interprets it for you. But in this kind of garbled computer text display. Mm-hmm. Um and this is, you know, this is used to kind of break some codes for you. Um, it's almost like an instant solve puzzle button because that's not what this game is about. It's about reading these diaries and listening to these phonographs and reading these records to kind of piece together what has led to your distraught state at the beginning of the game. So, you know, by exploring and digging a little bit, you find... You find your, uh, your your phonograph journals talking about being assigned here after the previous attendant um, uh, killed himself, um, possibly due to overwork, they think. And your your trip into London, which gives you all this world building about like these public executions that are taking place with these, uh, I, I'm going to say awesome, but that's not what I mean. These awesome um, um, auto, <laughs> um, auto gallows mm-hmm. where it doesn't drop you, it just yanks the neck upward. Okay. Um, and, uh, t- talks about kind of like, uh, <laughs> your, 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 main character, Xavier is an etherist, which means you're, you're, uh, you're a shortwave radio guy and talking about like, oh, in my, in my new apartment, I can't actually, you know, get reception. So I'm going to have to buy some kind of, some kind of new like module to boost the signal. Okay. But, um, and you find out you're super excited because Bedlam, this, you know, steampunk version of it is, is fitted with this prismatic panopticon, which, uh, you know, lets the, the, like the overseer look into every single cell and this, um, 
and this uh, kind of automated archive system that does this retrieval. And the kind of the last the, the last entry here is talking about this uh, the, the, this patient who was brought in by the police, by the government. And like you're you're told specifically, hey, get rid of this guy. We'll make it worth your while. And so that kind of sets this up. And as you walk out and start encountering people, specifically your meek and overworked assistant, James, you get kind of these intrusive parentheticals that look like. Um, computer code, living growth, friction, further spreading outward, stretching. Yes. Touching. Yes. Okay. You know, all written in one word um, as you know, you are trying to talk to the talk to people and they don't really understand what you're saying. Right. And so you go and use this panopticon and you use the archives to find out information about this, about this man, this cleave. Right. Um, so you go and look at a cell and you, you know, find this writing on the wall that uh, that triage, um, kind of deciphers as like numerology and Kabbalah and gives you this this code. Uh, Malkuth is in Kather as Kather is in Malkuth or man is in God as God is in man, mm -hmm. um, which ends up being kind of a key phrase uh, later on in one of the few puzzles in this. Um, and uh, it also gives you the patient ID that you have to figure out how to use in the uh, patient archives to pull down his file that describes his history from being admitted to today. Right. And it describes um, these conversations that Cleve has had with Xavier talking about um, kind of these details that Cleve has given that Xavier never said, mentioning that, oh, you know, well, this was a different you talking to a different me. And the important detail here is Cleve doesn't speak. Um, okay. He can like do they do they do a physical a physical exam and determine like okay um, you're capable of speaking but you choose not to and so all of this is done over is done over writing and the nature of his delusions are that um, that 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 Cleve exists out of time he believes that he can save moments and restart to back with his transformation and you can see where this is headed um, whatever he has lets him treat life like a text adventure okay okay that's neat. Yeah. And so, you know, as 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 the as you read these uh as you read these uh, uh records, you find out that uh um Cleve believes that his whatever he has that makes him able to do this um is he believes it's incredibly dangerous and also contagious and that's why he doesn't speak. And Xavier says, "Well, I know you can speak because I've heard you I've heard you talking in your sleep over the <laughs> over the speakers." And he points at the microphone. And Cleve says, well, um, we're all fucked. And he starts saying, no, 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 no. And biting at his tongue and clawing at himself. And then he attacks and Xavier kills him accidentally by slamming him to a wall. Okay. And now with this information, you find out, okay, I've got this infection. All right. Um, and I need to find more. So you go to his, you go to his, uh, his apartment and you find out, um, by entering this Malkuth code into the puzzle box that he, that Cleve had kind of like become a part of this order that was kind of like part Illuminati, part Kabbalah kind of thing that, uh, was kind of keeping the words and the language that, uh, kind of like, um, let people tap into magic. And he decided to, you know, commit this sin of hubris, as he called it, by going and kind of like tearing the veil into heaven. And that is where he kind of like learned the language of the angels, this uh, this logos. And he says like, oh, what else could I call? Um, let, me, let, me, let me find this here. Uh, what else can one call language given sentience, an idea that breathes, a thought that links it, uh, that thinks itself? And so he, he learns this and you use the key to go down to the basement again of this cult. 
um, this order, which had him committed after they found out that he uh, that he had done this. Um, and uh, you find his final diary entry, which is addressed to you, um, you know, before you ever could have met him. And so you go down and you uh, look into the the cult leader's quarters and uh, find this book that is adorned with thousands of gold leaf ones and zeros um, talking about the again, the, the keepers of this code, you know, that's magic for rulers. And you learn this key phrase, nothing will be restrained uh, from them from them, which have uh, they have imagined. And so now you know everything. You know that you have been infected with this thing called the Logos that spreads when you speak. And you've talked to the handsome cab driver and you've talked to your assistant in order to get here. Mm. Okay. And so where the game really begins after you've kind of figured out how to manipulate these devices and how to kind of like get around town to, you know, do this detective work is to decide what you're going to do. And this game has a shitload of endings. All of which are kind of interleaved with Yeats's uh, second coming, you know, uh, th th that really awesome apocalyptic poem. Um, but uh, you can decide like, hey, I, I know that I need to go kill James and the driver. Uh, but if you don't if you don't do anything else after that, the logos creeps in on you and you feel this coldness kind of taking you over until finally um, you wake up and you have these self-inflicted wounds and you're tried for the, you know, you're tried for this, but you decide not to speak and, you know, you're sentenced to be in bedlam for yourself. A slightly better ending would be to kill the driver, James, and then yourself mm -hmm. by going to the automatic gallows that you found before. Um, and then wearing the noose and pressing the button so-and-so. Um, and then that ends with just like, oh, it's just a mystery. Nobody knows why you did what you did. Um, except the driver that was considered to be a botched mugging, but you stop the logos from spreading. Okay. Um, or you can take the diary um, and decide, like, hey, I don't, I really don't know more of this. So you find the leader of the cult, this Dumond, um, and give her, give her that diary, and uh, she kills you with this mechanical flying thing that's never described, but it's like, it's like a golden wasp or something like that. It flies out at you from behind the counter with wings. Um, and then James, your assistant, he follows in your footsteps and spreads the infection. Um, and then pretty soon, you know, at, like as the appendix reveals, all of these endings give you an appendix that tells a little bit more about the overall mythology of this, like the world descends into Babel, essentially. Okay. Um, and then the other one is like, oh, like this is a good thing. So I need to spread it as far as possible. Xavier is an etherist. He has a radio. So you have to repair your radio and then say that magic phrase from the book uh, that you found in the cult. And this spreads the logos all throughout the world, starting with the like radio enthusiasts and then, um, you know, extending out until all the world is one with this kind of like new order of insanity. It sounds like they're all kind of bad endings. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, like because uh, the, the thing is dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is that is explicitly part of this. Mm -hmm. Um, so either, you know, you kind of, if you die to, to hold on to a secret, mm -hmm. um, which you, you know, you have in the, the notes kind of, uh, is presented as like a bad thing, um, mm -hmm. like a bad ending, or you, uh, you know, you just kind of give in to this thing that is dangerous and possibly, if not evil, uh -huh. but at least like, like virus-like. Yeah. Like, and it, it's, it's incredibly like Lovecraftian, like this, this is morally neutral, but it changes everything. Yeah, like that. Like you, you bring on a new epoch. Well, it's and... it's, it's Lovecraftian explicitly in that, like you know, it's like uh, Aklo. Uh huh. Like yeah, you read uh, Neonomicon. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's there is that language that is like a disease or like a drug. Yeah. In in that, like that's what it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And so like it, it presents all this stuff, but then you realize there's a way that I can do this. 
there's a way that I can kind of prevent the uh, the logos from being spread, which is, well, my moment of transformation was probably when the game started. So you type in restore or save, like all of the all of those commands are worked into the fiction and you can win the game in or get an ending like the best ending probably in one move, which is jump out the window. Hmm. So like we, when like before any of this stuff happens. Right. So yeah. like this is the moment that you like that, that you realize that you have uh that that you have this and so before you speak to anybody before you speak to james before you speak to the uh to, to the uh driver like you you know all of this because you've restored like again you're out of time right mm-hmm. you 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 have explored all these branching possibilities you know that like at least the way to save this timeline if that is indeed the way it works is to jump out the window and yeah. nobody knows why you did it. They figure it was overwork. They figure like, oh, the same thing happened to the guy before. So we're going to go for it. But like the, the, the genie is out of the bottle in a certain way. Yeah. Or the their genie dies with you. Like yeah. it's not, you know. <laughs> it depends. It depends on how you interpret it. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, yeah, that, that's really neat. It's like um, how uh, Undertale does that stuff with the saving and loading and yeah. stuff like playing with saving and loading is always going to be kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yep. I like it's, the idea uh, of like somebody learning the rules of their fictional universe. Definitely. Like that, yeah. that's a trope I'll always go for. Mm-hmm. And so it'll feel like I've, I've spoiled this and like that turn when you realize, Oh, this is, this is contagious um, is, is really the, is really the big thing. Um, and recognizing that it is kind of like, don't shit your pants. insofar so far as like, you're meant to see as much of this as you can mm-hmm. um, as many of these endings. Um, it's still worth doing because I feel like the writing is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a kind like it taps from a kind of mysticism and conspir and conspiratorial kind of fiction that I kind of enjoy. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that isn't entirely like overplayed Dan Brown, Vatican assassin kind of stuff. Um, that, uh, that really works for me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, uh, it, it sounds neat. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. That, that sounds really cool. Um, yeah, yeah I mean, we should, we should probably mention like we're spoiling all this stuff. Um, you know, <laughs> that it, we're, it's still a watch out for fireballs episode. <laughs> Yeah, we're not. Uh, you know, we haven't totally changed the format of the show. So right. it is. Uh, but yeah, this is this is you know probably the the ideal user of this uh, this podcast. Either somebody who doesn't mind hearing us talk and say our mm-hmm. opinions on these things, or who isn't going to play them and just kind of wants to hear examples yeah. of kind of like a nice wide swath. None of these games that we're doing are are similar, right? Which I like. Definitely. And like, use this as a, like a starting point. Like, you know, we're moving forward through time. Like they're like, we, we don't have anything in the nineties, but like, if this sounds cool to you, there's probably something similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and also really good that does uh, equally interesting things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about the, uh, the King of shreds and patches, or as I've taken to call it, the King of carpet, carpet remnants. Yeah. The King of carpet remnants, um, carpet remnants, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the King of carpet remnants, is uh is really interesting um it is the reason i was drawn to it is because uh as as people who uh listen to the show know probably mm-hmm. uh the call of cthulhu role-playing game is my favorite tabletop role-playing game mm-hmm. um this is explicitly based on a module uh from that and everything i'd read about it was like and it feels like that and mm-hmm. this is you know very close to i've never gotten a chance to play that game because i always run it um but this feels like playing a call of cthulhu module mm-hmm. um and that's really great. Uh, there are uh, some things it does, some things it doesn't do that well, and it is long. Um, as I <laughs> mentioned before, it is it is long, long, long. Um, it is good text. Um, I was talking about it on Slack. We were talking about uh, Persona, and it's like those games I think are still too long, no matter how good they are. Like right. ninety hours is too much for me to play a, a JRPG, no matter what. 
Like yeah. it can be the best thing in the world. I don't want to play it for 90 hours. Mm-hmm. I had that experience with this where it's like, this is so up my alley and so good, <laughs> but I still wish it was shorter. So um, it was made for you. Yeah. The, uh, so essentially, and I'll, I'll kind of talk about the mechanics as it, as it comes up. In a lot of ways, it's very traditional other than the fact that uh, the puzzles and stuff that you're solving are, it reminds me of like uh, the frictional games where like the puzzles are making a machine work um, doing something that you would do in, in real life, but figuring out how to do it. Um, and sometimes that's very frustrating, and, but here it usually works. Um, so yeah. it takes place in the 1600s, and you are a print uh, printmaker, like a, somebody who runs a printing house, um, not a, like a newspaper, but you uh, publish and uh, in London. And uh, you get invited from one of your friends to go have dinner, and when you get there, you find that he has killed himself. Um, he's hung himself. He's been dead for a while, actually. Um, and you find all these fragments and clues around his room. Um, there are a lot of parts of this game that are investigating a scene hmm. and trying to piece together what happened there and really combing it for all these little clues. And that's really cool. Um, and, you, you know, you, you kind of dig through this and you all you really find out is a couple of names that he's been tied up with, um, including uh, you find the symbol on his wall, which is uh, I recognize as the yellow sign. Um, the character <laughs> in, the, in the book does not. But, uh, you know. I rub my hands like a fly whenever I see that. Um, I so love the yellow sign. I, I'm, I'm way like it is my favorite Lovecraftian monster and God. And this is such a good articulation <laughs> of it. This is my favorite fictional. Like, you know, there are, there are games that have mm-hmm. uh, him in it that are, I think are, are like modules that are really fun to read, mm-hmm. I guess. But since this is actually a work of fiction with him in it, like it does such a good job of explaining why he is cooler to me than, than Cthulhu is. Oh, wow. So I didn't connect King of Scraps and Patches with Haster. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's a it's a king and yellow story, um, oh, and, it, and it leans into the things because those stories are like there's different mythos monsters, and right. the big thing with Haster and with the king and yellow is that it's about theater and creative types, right. and that's what this story is about. Um, mm-hmm. Is the kind of the mad like inspiration and in the way that it borders on madness and the temptation to kind of tap further into that than oh, you shit. than you should. Um, so you find out he's gotten involved in this. You find these names. You find these scraps of this play and stuff. Um, but the puzzles at this point are like, how do I get into this locked apartment? You know, like, uh, how do I, and like, how do I, um, you know, I need to, to get this, uh, where do I, like, I need to just be observant and explore really thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, at no point is it, does it feel unfair? It's always feels really fair. And there are a couple of awesome, uh, you like user, uh, kindnesses. Um, so at any given point you can do the think command. And it tells, oh, wow. it tells you like, oh, this is what I should probably be doing in broad terms. So if you take a break and you're just like, I need to find out who this guy is. He was last seen here. I need to figure out what the story is with this, uh, this passage from this book. Um, it's written in a weird way. Maybe this one, this person will have an idea about it. So, um, so, it's, so, so it's like a diegetic hint system. It's, you can actually ask for hints, too. It has a really kind hint system that plays exactly like the universal hint system. Oh, wow. It reveals itself in stages. Like the hints will be like 11 steps of progressive, uh, you know, directness. So it's like there's actually is a hint if you need a hint. Um, but it also will just like remind you what is on the docket. Like you never feel yeah. like you don't know what to do. And it plays into the character just kind of like, what should I do next? Yeah. Uh, which is really great. Like the, I love both those features. And I wish they were standard in the entire medium. Like think and hint in the actual game <laughs> and the hint being a universal hint system style thing. Cause the hints are super useful. Like mm-hmm. I'd never had the point where something like there are a couple puzzles. I just hinted myself through, but you, most of the time when I got a hint, it would just give me the start that I needed. And I still got to feel a little bit of that epiphany feeling yeah, because it just put me on the right track of something. Um, so that happens and you're, you're bummed out. You do a little bit more investigation. 
really nothing comes of it. Um, but then your friend, this girl who you love, um, who kind of fell, you fell out with, uh, gives you a call because um, her cousin has been in town, has gone missing. who's staying with this jeweler named Vanderwick. And uh, she fears, you know, she hasn't checked in. So she fears that she might uh, be, be hurt and asked you to check in. Uh, so you do some more kind of classic B&E. This time it's a lot more complicated with one of the puzzles I really hate, uh, <laughs> which is you have to get into the back door of this jeweler shop. And uh, you do it through navigating this rowboat. Um, and it is all about like being able to draw a mental map of like which way you're drifting versus which way you're pointing. And then you're facing Ugh. the wrong way because you're rowing a boat. Um, so yeah, that's crazy. So did, it's like, it's just straight up in this heavily narrative game and orienteering puzzle. Yes, it is. Ugh. It's really bad. It is. It's like, Oh, I'm going to guide my way through this. I'm just going to look at the list of commands that gets me to pass this puzzle. Yeah. Cause this is the, this is a bad puzzle. Um, but once you get into the shop, um, it's really cool. There are all these like gems that are different, like weird cuts of gems. And uh, you look through one and it uh, it feels like you're you know looking into into the nether realm or what have you. Um, it's a cool fail state. If you do, it gives you the one time and it gives you a headache and stuff. And if you do it again, you'll, you'll kill yourself, mm. um, which is really great. Um, but eventually you find the hidden passage in this guy and get down to his basement. And he has the symbol on his wall and a post tied in the middle of his room with a, a pile of like bloody clothing and then uh, a really small chair and a really elaborate throne uh, next to it, watching oh. this this pull, um, and it's it's really creepy. Um, so eventually, you know, you tell her that uh, uh, you know her friend probably didn't make it, et cetera, et cetera. You're investigating more. You're going to the bar. You're talking to people. It feels like playing that role playing game. That's the thing that appeals right. to me about that role playing game is like it's about hunting down clues. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, and this is where the game gets kind of weird. Um, you get uh, tickets to go see Hamlet. Uh, because Shakespeare is alive and well in this time. He's a character mm-hmm. in this game. He's a big character in this game. You talk to him a yeah. lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's in the, um, in the globe. So it's cheap. And it's like, I, you know, you're a, you're a lover of the theater. You start out as such. That's what bound you to your friends initially. So even while the, all this weird stuff is going on, you kind of have the sense that it's, it's related, but you're still going to go to the theater. Yeah. This is, this is bizarre because I don't associate Lovecraftian stuff with happening this early. It's usually isn't. Like, right. I think that I wonder if this was if the original I was actually looking up while uh, you we, we took a quick break and because I want to find the original module and read it really bad. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if it's in the 1600s. Um, mm. So in the theater, like halfway, it's just Hamlet and you're just watching Hamlet for a while, <laughs> uh, which is great because it's Hamlet. And then uh, Shakespeare is playing um, like the, the wizard and uh something goes wrong. Like people start reacting to his lines in a way that like, cause your character has never seen Hamlet before. This is the premiere. Um, but people, they, you notice that the actors, like he's not doing what he should be doing, which is a really cool clue. And eventually you see that he is being kind of controlled by somebody up in the, in the booth or in the balcony doing like a spell on him. And people well, start like pan- moving him like a puppet. Yeah. Like getting oh. him to say, say words and it's making you uncomfortable and you want to listen and stuff. And people are like freaking out. Um, which is what traditionally happens when the King in Yellow is performed. Um, <laughs> right. so you have to get mm. up there to get and chase him off. Um, one of the things, there's another puzzle I don't like, which I, I'll mention too, because it's important that you did here. And they're really the only two puzzles I really hate. But um, you have to figure out how to load a, like a 1600 style gun. Um, once you do it, <laughs> you can... The order of operations, like, oh, it's like a Daffy Duck cartoon. Like, okay, powder, paper. Yes, powder, ball. paper, uh, ball, crank, flash pan. Like, and <laughs> once you, it's really hard to figure out. Once you figure it out, you can say load gun and just, it just does it automatically. 
and it becomes rote. But up and like figuring that out, like just felt like my character would know how to do this. Yeah. Like this, this is frustrating to me. Yeah. Um, you know, it didn't have that level of remove that I like in uh, Amnesia, where your character literally has amnesia, or in Soma, where it's like future technology. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just like my character. I don't know how to do this because I'm not from the 1600s. Right. Um, and that actually plays into a mechanical failing that we'll talk about at the end of the game. Okay. Um, so you get up there, you shoot him, and uh, before he uh, goes off, he casts a spell on you. Um, so you, 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 know, you pass out and you wake up and you, uh, you have the plague, like the plague is going on in London. Um, so in a really kind of weird thing, like your body is kind of falling apart and it's a really cool twist before you leave the theater, you have to break into the makeup section and like disguise yourself. So you don't scare people away yeah. uh, from you. And, uh, so you, you know, you continue to investigate, you talk to, um, and this is where it becomes the Gabriel Knight chapter where you're just talking to people and learning a lot of shit, um, about, uh, you, you know, you go and talk to Shakespeare, you talk to, uh, uh, Somebody, this guy named D, who was, um, you know, a real life figure who was a, a arcane advisor to mm-hmm. the queen and stuff, and essentially just learn about this group of kind of playwrights, playwright, playwrights, and creatives, uh, musicians, who uh, kind of got involved in this scrying, accidentally tapped into this other world and found this this king, this yeah. uh, this kind of yellow god that uh, inspires them. You're and loving us, aren't you, Cole? Exactly. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's so up my alley. Like reading about that shit is so good. There's a chapter where you go to Bedlam, uh, just, you know, name checking that. Yeah. And you're talking to this uh, music composer um, who is another real figure. And uh, he's gone really crazy. The way that you uh, kind of snap him out of it so you can talk to him is you recognize the tune he's trying to sing. And oh, you yeah? do it by if you're playing it on, uh, in the actual version that you can you can get. It doesn't come through on frauds. But um, you actually hear the tones and you have to recognize that he's singing green sleeves. Oh, wow. And give him yeah. the note, like approve him when he does the right notes <laughs> or, or tell him to play it. Like say, like, yeah. do this one, do this one and get him to unlock this melody that he's like going insane and bashing his head against the wall and clawing the walls because he can't get this song right. Yeah. After he was this musical genius, this very simple song. Uh-huh. Um, that, 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 that's funny because like I was going to guess it was green sleeves. Like that feel that feels like right in the wheelhouse for like here's a tune puzzle yeah like like just the right just the right amount of complexity and mm-hmm. just the right amount of like oh everybody knows this in one version or another it's a cool puzzle like it's yeah. it's, it's super cool and like what the actual story when you learn about these like these people who like some people who are involved in this kind of leaned into it um, other people you know tried to get out you know Shakespeare yeah. got out you know and that right. is why he was attempting to be kind of rubbed out during this performance and ruined yeah. and stuff. It's, um, but 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 it's like this artist coven, yes, or, or exactly. Coven, whichever you prefer. like, like yeah. people. Yes, I, I mean coven sounds like oven. Stupid. Yeah. The um. So the the people who uh, who did this one name kind of comes to the fore, and you find out uh, two things. Like one that he has been seeing. You you know him. You met him before in the theater scene, mm-hmm. and he's been seeing this girl, who you like, who has been asking you to investigate, and uh, you've seen this post that's tied up. Uh, my favorite moment in the game is you uh, you break into his house. You eventually find his like secret church uh, down in his mm. basement. And I if, love a basement shrine. I, I love finding a basement shrine. Boy, do I love a basement shrine. Like same, you know, from uh, Point Lookout, like the basement mm-hmm. shrine and the with the Krivnica. Um You go down there, and it's the it's like a more elaborate version of the version you've seen before. Yeah. Um, where there's a pole, there's a really shoddy chair, and there's a ornate throne. <laughs> and you start figuring out, like, through the text and everything, like, this ornate throne is where they summon this god to watch them do things to the people they have on the pole. Like, the shitty chair is for mm-hmm. these people. It's not for the king of this cult. Right. They're summoning people, these things, into this throne. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, like you, you unlock something, you get these gems that you need because there's this kind of ritual of unbinding kind of thing you need to do. And there are lots of, I'm glossing over a lot of stuff because again, it's yeah, super yeah. long. Um, and like these mists start coalescing and this like jester kind of spirit kind of thing appears. And the descriptions are really creepy because you, this is a timed section. If you look at it, they describe it in a way that's really enticing, mm-hmm. uh, which is good because that's what's happening to you. Uh, but also in a really cool text adventure expression of the don't look at it or you'll go crazy, um, don't examine it. Because if you examine <laughs> it, you run out of time. So like you will go crazy because you spent too much time doing the text adventure game command of examine. Like, but, like, it, but this is something you totally want to like, like once you know what's happening, save and then, ex- and then examine. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which I, I got all the bad endings in this game. Like I, <laughs> for sure. Like it was uh necessary to see all the, the shit that can happen. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the bummer happens right out. So you, and then you just have to run as well. So that becomes a test of knowing the map because if you stop to kind of look at exits, Yep. So keeping, you know, keeping a map, you have to run from this thing and get out. Mm-hmm. Um, here's where the bummer happened. Um, I had a gun I got earlier. I found another gun because someone attempted to mug me. Uh-huh. Um, and the, uh, I reloaded the gun in the snow and it got my powder wet. Oh, um, wow. And my character said like that will never fire. I tried so long to figure out how to unload the gun. Yeah. And there's no way to do it. And I got... <laughs> The guns are not just called like it's the thugs gun or the the thugs wheel lock pistol. So that's a lot of. Yeah, that's, that, that, and, that's a lot of texting. And Vanderwick's <laughs> wheel lock pistol. So me being like unload gun. Which one do you mean? The thugs wheel lock pistol <laughs> or Vanderwick's wheel lock pistol? Will, will thug gun work? Uh, no. Thugs gun, <laughs> thugs gun will work or thun, thugs pistol. But even then there's something broken where it wasn't working. And uh-huh. then I eventually got it to work. I left the gun that was working on the ground. So the game only knew I had one gun, went to another room, like tried to unload it. And I couldn't unload like that wasn't a command. Like empty didn't work probably. Or... Empty didn't work um, like discharge. Um, I tried to fire it into the ground. I tried to, you know, do a <laughs> well, million. What was the answer? There is no answer. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll get to how I got around it because you need both oh. guns. Okay. Um, so the uh, you eventually oh, like that, that. That reminds me of just I want to take us back to Planetfall real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, so you're getting all these key cards. There's a there, there's one puzzle that you need to use a magnet for to okay. get like a key out from under a grate. However, if you carry the magnet and some keys around, it will demagnetize the keys, making oh, the game unwinnable. That just yep. feels like that feels like a fuck you. Too. <laughs> yep. So aggressive. Um, <laughs> this, this feels like one of those puzzles, like the getting your powder wet thing. Uh-huh. Like it tells you it's snowing. Yes, I should know not to reload my gun. I just wanted to make sure my guns were loaded because like right. things were getting real. It did a good job of scaring me. I escaped this house where this thing got me in a basement and I was just like, Oh shit. And then I, I didn't make the game unwinnable to its credit. Um, and I didn't even lock myself out of the good ending. That would have been the worst thing that could have happened. Um, so you find out that there's this ritual that they're doing with this thing. Uh, and it's under, uh, like the tower of London. And here's a really cool part where there are different ways to get into the tower of London. Um, you find out about a, uh, a riverside thing that you can take your raft up to, which like, Nope. I'm not, I don't want to get in that raft, but if I wanted to, I could sneak in that way. Um, mm-hmm. The way I did it was the, uh, you find out that the, the guards there, uh, one of the guard captain uh, has a prostitute sent to him. Um, so I dressed up, I had all this stage makeup and yeah. figure out a way to make myself in the dark. You, you like, bugs bunnied it. I bugs bunnied it um, to get <laughs> in. And that's really tense too, because you feel like your cover is going to be blown. Yeah. The entire time. Um, you get down there, the, the, the ritual is going this on. This sounds like a fucking Deus Ex level, man. It is. It's, it's really like, there's, I was surprised by how, what kind of like, you know, space, like a uh, poss- possibility space there was yeah. uh, for it. Um, 
you know, I get down to where the, the cult is doing its thing and it's a typical cult scene, you know, it's like Dragnet or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And the uh, uh, there's two victims and then there's uh, my girl there. And uh, I, you know, I'm waiting on the balcony and eventually the two guys walk up to my girl and I have to shoot them both one after another. Oh, but boy. my gun didn't work. Um, so I was like, well, shit, I could shoot one. It makes the other one doesn't like kill my girl. He takes he completes the sacrifice with one of the cultists. And the bubbling uh, pool of tentacles starts working, and that becomes a factor. Yeah. Um, so I can go down there, but he kept killing me with a rapier um, or a rapier, um, and I couldn't fight him. I got a rapier earlier, but he was too good, and I couldn't figure right. out how to kill him without a gun. Um, so I could let him, I, I could let him kill my girl, and still do the thing I needed to do. If I didn't, you know, bring attention to myself and shoot them, I think I still could have got like a bad ending if they killed her. I think. Um, So I don't think it locked me out of the ending. The way to actually get through it um, is to uh, shoot one of them and then reload that gun uh, that you use and shoot them twice. But every step, it says time is a factor now. You you can't you can no longer automatically reload it. You have to do it step by step. Okay. Um, So it says like time is a factor now. Um. So it just I like I almost got like what essentially happened was the bubbling pool of tentacles got out of hand to where one of them wrapped around my neck. Um, and because I had picked up another item earlier, I was able to cut it off and okay. shoot the guy twice. But it would the ideal way would have been to just shoot both of them. And I think I would have got a smoother ending. So you get a, you get around right. it, but it feels like it's discouraging you from doing the get around. But but it's like it's like a final exam, but it is like just checking to see what you have and what you're aware that you have. Yes. And yeah. and the fact that I couldn't in real life, I would have unloaded the gun and reloaded it. Right. You know, and I tried to do that a thousand different ways, and that was immensely frustrating. But um, but, it, but it's punishing for not having that second shot. Exactly. Yeah. So that that was that was annoying. Um, but eventually, you know, you do the ritual that you learned about, um, and you you draw you know push back Haster, and uh, you have this whole you have a, a long epilogue that's really touching. Um, yeah, and you and you did it. You won. Um, mm-hmm. There are a lot of non-standard endings of you know going insane and stuff and becoming a thrall yeah. of the Yellow King, mm. uh, which is all I want in life. And the um, <laughs> see that's a version of the dark gift I can get behind. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm into I want to ch- I want to chase somebody through a courtyard, Gary. Yeah, me, <laughs> me too. Um, and the the most impressive thing about the game, other than the fact that it was so investigatory, um, was how they handled like the ask me about stuff yes. because there was just a lot of tech. Like it, it tells you what you can ask about, um, which is really great. Like it's like you could it immediately occurs to you to ask about X, Y, and Z. Um, and a lot of times those will, it's like almost like a keyword system mm-hmm. because if you're just paying attention, it's like, Oh, what about this? And there was yeah. a surprising amount of like, it felt very natural. Uh-huh. Um, you know, just being like, Oh, that's interesting. What about that detail? And mm-hmm. it worked like it, it was a really good conversation parser. It, uh, it sounds like the, uh, the conversation parser, obviously these are more basic, but like the conversation parser is in like a, like an early MMO. Yeah. 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 I could, I could, I could see that. Um, it was uh, that part was really impressive, and the uh, the content of what is written is really strong. Yeah, um, some of the puzzles are kind of irritating, um, and some of the uh, there's there's just a lot of reading that happens. Yeah. You read a lot of books inside this book. Um, I'm down. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's good though. Like it is it is good content, and like it's really uh, a really great expression of this character and this kind of entity. I really like. Anyway, yeah. and, the, and the, it's fun to be like, I'm hanging out with Shakespeare. Like I went to Shakespeare's house and talked <laughs> to him about shit. And I mean, like that's Assassin's, Assassin's Creed. Yeah. Yeah. It has that, <laughs> has that, has that, that kind of appeal. The like, I'm yeah. behind the scenes of this, this real thing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there, there are all these little things that happen that if you know Shakespeare, it kind of hints that these are going to be influences or he's going to reference this later. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it gets into a little bit of a silly, like walk hard, like, you know, <laughs> you, you, you don't, you don't walk hard. Walk hard. <laughs> like it gets a little bit like that, but yeah, it is, uh, it was really, it was very good while having a couple like friction points that were victims of its ambition. Like yeah. it was, it was too big and too complicated. And the fact that it pulled it off 80% of the time, 90% of the time is really impressive. See, this is funny because when we were talking about um, kind of our planning for this as you know, several weeks ago, probably m- months ago at this point when we were like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Um, when you were mentioning this game, you were talking about it as like having very not like sim combat is the wrong word, but like very detailed, like puzzle combat almost. That's what it was explained to me. Um, I yeah. think that just by because um, it does have combat in it. It's more than just because what will happen is you have like kind of reactions you have to do. Yeah. Um, so things will kind of come at you and you just have a split second to react and you have like you can do one move to get out of the way. And they have, yeah. that can last for multiple rounds mm-hmm. um, is kind of what they were referring to. OK. But I was expecting something the way it was described wherever I read about it made it sound like it had more like stat kind of things, which yeah. would make sense with its pedigree. But that's not the case. But this is the only game with combat that we've seen, aside from my, like, microblazer uh, yeah. encounter. and then so. there, there are multiple bits of it, and it articulates different, differently, yeah. depending on how you do it. Um, like, there, there are martial things, and you are a Lovecraftian protagonist. Like, you're not good at this stuff. Right. You can't shoot anything from far away. You, uh, you can't go one-on-one with somebody with a, with a knife. You know, they'll win. You're a regular Harry Mason. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're very much, very much Harry. So, um, yeah, I really liked it. It is, uh, yeah. it is worth... Uh, worth your time, worth people's time. I think it is just a really big investment because yeah. it's a lot of words. I mean, so the the, the fact that this uh, that this is such a big commitment, it makes it feel like it would be good for frots actually to play like a like a little bit at a time. Does it run in that? Yeah. Okay. Um, so there there are a couple of problems with the way it runs in that. Um, one that sound puzzle. Right. Um, I had to like look up what it was trying to do or what notes it. It was a cool puzzle. It doesn't play the notes or anything i guess it yep. does in a real version so i ended up like what are these notes and then yeah. got out my keyboard mm-hmm. like i went that was a, a good expression of the hint system kind of thing because mm-hmm. it told me like uh can you hear the notes if not do this and i was yeah. like you know went online like it, it it's aware of that people will play it on things where it doesn't have all the features right the other thing is there's a built-in map um of it mm. the uh it's so like ascii or what it was so it doesn't show up in froths but in the oh. actual version there's a map you can go. Okay. It doesn't. It doesn't show up in Frots. I ended up making a map um, because it's not that complicated. Yeah. Uh, other than the river, which, like I said, I just skipped because it was bad. Um, <laughs> the uh, so those things don't run in Frots, but most of it does. Yeah. So. Yeah, this sounds badass. It's super cool. There are a lot of yeah. like just really really cool little puzzles. Like one um, section, uh, you find a, a book of spells, and it's one of the things you need to do to do the ritual at the end. Um, there's this passages, but it, it's kind of bastardized mm-hmm. and everything um, and hard to read. Um, so to get a version that you can you can read, since you're a printing press guy, you like run it through. You set the letters to run it through your printing press and then oh, have wow. to look at it in, in a mirror because they're they're backwards. <laughs> right. But the, the versions don't look like anything backwards in the original version. Like you have to have clean right. copy. Right. So, so so you're like reverse engineering the uh, the like a new copy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there are a lot of cool like little puzzles like that um that i dug and just like finding like boy do i love this idea there's like a basement with a pole and one shitty chair (laughs) where you get to watch like this thing that you summon watch something Mm -hmm. um just like finding a creepy throne 
Yeah. You know, that like that no human has ever sat in. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I really should have put two and two together from this title that it was Aster. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah it, it ends up, uh, it's not, it's not an avatar name that I've heard before. Um, and it's, it's a Shakespeare thing. I think the, the King of Shreds and Patches is a Shakespeare line. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, uh, yeah, it was really good. Um, nice. I enjoyed it. Huh. Mm-hmm. Well, I've enjoyed hearing you recount it. Like this, this really <laughs> intrigues me. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been a fun episode for that. Yeah. It's like it's like we're giving your, each other a little watch out for fireballs. A little bit, yeah. yeah. No, like the, the, this is non-stater, but I hope that like uh, our our enthusiasm is clear here. Yeah, yeah. I hope I hope people dig it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, do we have any kind of closing thoughts? Um, I'm just going to reiterate what we said between uh, Bedlam and Patches, which is um, that like yes, we've spoiled a lot here, um, and this is not the most accessible genre, um, but. If you are interested in like the cool stuff like this, there are all kinds of resources that you can go uh, look at. Not quite your local library, but your local like IFDB to find mm-hmm. stuff that is going to be as interesting as this. Yes. Um, that does really cool stuff. So like, you know, th- there is more here than I even in my first, you know, several attempts to play these, um, you know, gave the, the, the form credit for being able to reveal. But like there, th- th- this is a really rich world. Um, and I'm kind of sad that I haven't played more of it, you know, mm-hmm. to, to date, but there's always more time, uh, e- even though there is very little time. That's how the old expression goes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, no, but, but I mean like, oh, you know, it's like, oh, the, the next game I play could be a really cool IF game. And this has reminded me how much, how much awesome stuff happens there. So like that, that's really it is just like the best of this stuff is really, really good. It's it's something where uh, because of those kind of frustrations that we talked about in the generalities and, you know, you talked about in Planetfall and I talked about a little bit in King of Shreds and Patches and stuff uh-huh. like it is not an unqualified recommendation. Right. But it is something where I think it's an unqualified, like, give it a shot. Yeah. Like, I think that if you're listening to this, and you're not familiar with this medium. You owe it to yourself to figure out how much those quirks bother you. Uh-huh. And a lot is an OK answer. Yeah. But you should know that you shouldn't just be like, that sounds bad. Like maybe it mm-hmm. won't bother you at all. Like it is. Uh, and also like this is, you know, people say like, oh, people don't want to read anymore. And they say it as a dismissive thing. Uh-huh. I don't really I don't get really get mad if people don't like reading stuff in games. <laughs> yeah. Like I like I like doing, you know, I want my stuff in audio logs a lot of the time. I want to read while doing uh-huh. or listen while doing. I, mm-hmm. I dig that. Um, I mean, I like to read, too. But yeah. I also <laughs> like, you know, if I'm, I, if I'm going to read, I'm going to read a book. Exactly. Like a lot of the time. So if that's a thing, that's okay too. But Mm -hmm. see if it works for you because like there are moments during both these games I played that were just like my, my mind picture was so good, you know, like it was like really immersive in a way that like, I'm not going to be like, you know, modern graphics can never match the human imagination. Like, (laughs) no, I'm not going to go into something like that because it's all artistry. Like, yeah, it is. It is. I'm not going to say that, but I will say that like it worked better than I'm glad I know how well it works for me. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what I want people who are listening to this to do. Like, how does this yeah. work for you? Find actually find out. Mm-hmm. Um, that is worth your time, I think. Yeah, and there's plenty of accessible stuff. Like in that section where we talked about like Dreamhold and and Photopia. Mm-hmm. Um, like that that like that's a good way to get into this stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know? Um, and and like 80 days. Yeah, like 80 oh, days is actually a really sake, good man. Good way to get 80 into days this. is so good. Yeah, and and that has more gamey elements if you want uh-huh. that. So yeah. there is kind of simulation elements and stuff to that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also Just, a good starting point. It's just so diverse, right? Depending on how much system you want, how much narrative you want, there's bound to be a good fit. It's diverse it's because a, it because it's a medium. It's not yep. it's not a genre. So it's <laughs> right. it is a way of 
you know, doing games. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I dig it. Like, it's something that, like, I don't think I'm ever, like, this is not going to be the thing that was like, I'm just going to do this all the time. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I'm probably going to play about the same one I did before, which was from time to time. <laughs> but I'm glad that we had a chance to do this. I'm glad that uh, yeah. it is a fascinating thing. And and also watch that documentary. Um, yes. Because it's free and it's fascinating. Yeah. And uh, like for, for me, like my takeaway from this, my action is going to be to like pay more attention to when those awards get announced. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you could probably do worse than to look at what is the best version of this from that year and to give it a shot. Yeah. Like, just, I'm, just I'm try curious. the best one. Yeah, I'm curious what 2016 brings, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I am as well. Um, yeah. yeah, so hopefully you enjoy this non-standard episode. Um, if you enjoy standard episodes, Cole, what are we doing next time? <laughs> Gary, next time. I'm so excited. We're doing Silent Hill 3. I am excited, too. I haven't started yeah. playing it yet, but I'm going to this week. I was playing this uh, a little bit uh, earlier this evening before we recorded, and mm-hmm. uh, we got to a point. Gary, I'm generally inured to horror games. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mean to sound like a tough guy, but I played a lot of them. I forgot the back leg of this uh, of this game. Uh, I am very averse to playing it. It's too scary to play. Oh, that's great! I'm <laughs> I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Um. So just you can hear the glee in my voice. Uh, if you are curious about playing Silent Hill, Silent Hill Three, but you don't want to play Silent Hill One, I have a uh, I have a, a Let's Play up on YouTube at uh, YouTube.com/slash/DuckFeedTV. I did a live stream and explained some stuff um uh yes three is a continuation of one in a lot of ways so mm-hmm. that is a that is a good way to do it um yeah but uh super excited to uh to talk about this game at length and honestly to edit this soundtrack together it's uh it's gonna be interesting i'm really excited to play anyway because i love silent hill 2 and i'm uh-huh. in that kind of mode i'm gonna be interested to see how it extends from one because uh-huh. like i only kind of liked one <laughs> like i like it but i don't you know i expect to like this much better yeah. In a way that I'm curious as to what those connections are, because some of my problems with with one were that it felt generic and kind of shallow. Yeah. So is it an extension like a sequel or is it an extension like it plays with some of those themes, but just actually does them super well? Um, can it be both? OK. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. So that's you know, that is my question. I'm curious to see how that works, because I have no yeah. doubt that it will be stronger. It's, um, it's more interesting, more textured. It is a continuation of the cult storyline, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but the angle that they take on it is is super personal. Okay, yeah, because yeah, I mean that's kind of how the cult felt to me. Yeah, poorly is just like oh, this is not like I don't care about any of these people mm-hmm. really. Yeah, um, I think the first one does doesn't do a great job of that. Well, mm-hmm. while being really great in some other ways too. Like it's not. Yeah. It's, it's totally worth playing. Like I think one kind of stands up. Like it is mm-hmm. a scary game, uh, yeah. but it is. Uh, I was expecting to feel something and I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking forward to feeling something yeah. uh, <laughs> for once. Yeah, for once in my goddamn life. Um, <laughs> after that, I'm very one thing I feel is uh, very excited <laughs> to be doing our 125th episode um, yeah. where we're doing Portal One and yeah. Portal Two, our foil episodes. Yeah, if we didn't do Portal Two, the episode mm-hmm. would be as long as it takes to play Portal. <laughs> uh, so yep. Even though I, I mean I say that, but the game is probably going to resist our treatment. Um, because you know, each individual, like explaining a puzzle is going yep. to be difficult, but we've never done a game like that. Uh, no? so this is in a weird way, like us hitting a genre we haven't hit before. Yep. And, uh, I think it is one of the most, I think it's in the masterpiece class of games we've done. Oh, uh, I, think sake, it's, yeah. I think it's perfect. So, yeah. uh, is my favorite puzzle game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. Yeah. Like I, I feel even ridiculous saying like, you should go play this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, every, everyone's played it. It's been, yeah. it's been more or less free so many times on steam. Everyone has played yeah. it, but I'm just really excited to talk about it because it's so good. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to use that soundtrack because, uh, <laughs> because you may or may not know this, but you like electronic, 
yeah, or whatever. <laughs> Which I actually do think is still like kind of like that's way overplayed, but it's not like that's uh-huh. a bad song. Same yeah. thing with the song from the second one, like mm-hmm. way overplayed, but it was still a good song. Yeah. John Flansburg helped write those songs. Yeah. Um, John Flansburg and, uh, and John Colton. Yeah. yeah. John Colton like wrote all of them. I think Flansburg did like the drum samples and stuff on the second one. Ooh, nice. Yeah. I, I, I called him John. That is not, it's Jonathan Colton. What the yes. fuck am I? Yeah. He's not John Colton. <laughs> that's a, that's a cowboy from a different timeline. <laughs> Um, oh man that's the jock version of jonathan colton yeah <laughs> but yeah we're covering both of those games it's going to be interesting to, con- to compare and contrast them mm-hmm. because like i think that one is an object lesson in how economy will work for an overall thing whereas the other is uh what happens when you let your hair down sometimes it's not all good stuff yeah the, se- the, the second one at no point is it not excellent right. it's just not as good as the first one yeah and it's not like any of the ideas in it don't work it's mm-hmm. just like the first the first one is 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 perfect and the second mm-hmm. one is like a 95 out of 100 <laughs> right. you know like i mean but the first god the first portal like i i can't think of anything that i would do differently in that game mm-hmm. um, it's just it gets down to like it it defies a lot of treatments how do you differentiate between must plays yeah 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 absolutely yeah um after that uh we're kind of continuing our beloved games uh series here for this year our- <laughs> like we have a lot of time to make up for after soul reaver so like it is it is all killer no filler for like quite a while <laughs> don't touch that dial yeah there's jam on it yeah yeah <laughs> but uh but after that we are playing warcraft 3 mm-hmm. yeah. yeah um so just the base game not the expansion uh, i don't feel like playing 70 hours of game yes um however this is like one of our first strategy games in four years yeah yeah since like sacrifice yeah. um and it's not doesn't it, pull the ridiculous it has like the hero unit but doesn't mm-hmm. put me down on the battlefield so i can actually have full information yes um here's a, here's a disclaimer uh i don't like multiplayer strategy games neither do i we're so not gonna talk about gonna be, that much <laughs> this is gonna be a single player solo bolo experience yes but i really like that the experience of playing that game solo solo and yeah. i may play the expansion just for funsies if i end mm-hmm. up having time because i like it so we'll comment on it because yeah, i played it before like i know it but just i just man like not as dark good. souls is coming out yeah yeah it's it's not as good so that's i mean that's the big thing with the expansion to Warcraft yeah. three like there are some cool new units and stuff it's probably great from a multiplayer perspective yeah. but it's it's not a brood war kind of thing exactly yeah, yeah. but uh yeah i'm excited i'm really excited to do that and it's also like this is the uh this, this is the first blizzard uh game we've done yeah, that's right isn't it and yeah. it's also like warcraft is huge like this is the basis we're not i mean we're not doing world of warcraft but this is where that world and lore and character design and all that mm-hmm. stuff came from yeah um so it's a game i have a lot of affection for and uh yes it means that it'll probably be more than a year before we end up doing freedom force but that's okay because <laughs> uh that is uh it is it is something i want to do for a while well freedom yeah. force is turn-based uh isn't it um, uh no Okay. Wow, yeah. man. My yeah. my conception of that game is all wrong. Then Freedom Freedom Force is like a, a small unit version of Warcraft Three with mm-hmm. all hero units, yeah. um, with a lot of control over like power articulation and a lot of environmental mayhem. So, yeah. Um, Freedom yeah, Force guess... is excellent. Like someday I want to do Freedom Force because that's so oh, up sure. our wheelhouse as like forgotten, you know, yeah. near successes. But that's I mean, like in all disclosure, that's been on that's been our on our list for almost five years now. Yeah, like almost the entire run of the show, we've talked about doing Freedom Force. Um, it, we haven't done it because uh, it's very hard. Um, yep. Playing it again, like I end up having to save scum a lot more than I wanted to, and I was like, ah, I'm either doing this wrong or I forgot how to play or I'm just I need to get good. Uh, yep. But also, I mean, I guess that's the only real reason. So yeah. World well, also, it's hard. It's it's hard to get a hold of too. Like it is not a game you can easily find legally. Um, um that it's, it's, it's on uh, Steam, I think. 
Is it? Fuck. I'm yes. all wrong about that. Am I thinking of a different game, Gary? <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. Um, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it's, it's gettable. We'll, we'll do it. It'll be like a year or a year and a half, but that'll yeah. happen. Oh, they're five bucks on Steam. Like, I could play this at any moment. Yeah, and, 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 and should because it's good. Um, we, yeah. I guess another reason why we haven't done that is because I don't know which one I want to do. Yeah, that's one, the thing, too. Yeah. The first one has a stronger story, but the second one's so much more mechanically sound. Yeah. So that's always the, the WAF conundrum. But yep. we know what's coming after Warcraft 3. We know what our summer RPG is. We mm-hmm. know all these things. Uh, so look out, world. <laughs> Here we come. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what to do for, like, admin for this. There's the usual stuff. There's iTunes ratings and reviews. There's Patreon. People have been killing it. This has been, like, this past month was amazing for Patreon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a lot of new donors come in, uh, which is which is fantastic to see. Um, and it helps us out just so much, more than you can know. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, and you, know, you become a patron, you get episodes a day early. You get some uh, some tchotchkes and mailables, um, some feelies, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. You get uh, and kind of like you know extra episodes of Abject Suffering, which is a show you should be listening to if you don't. And uh, you get to join us on our Slack channel, which is a really fun social network. Um, other than that, like the usual things, rating reviews. I haven't said this in a long time. Buy my book. Uh, if, you go to, <laughs> if you go to Gary, buy my book. If you go to GaryButterfield.itch.io, you can buy Souls of Darkness, the PDF version now. Mm-hmm. Um, it is uh, the real version is coming out, but that has been delayed and again, uh, just because printing is hard. And uh, I didn't really expect to run into like there's a language barrier with the printer, and it has been uh, a real nightmare <laughs> uh, yeah. getting getting that to work with those guys. So uh, it's not, I mean nothing that anyone's doing wrong. It's mostly my right. ignorance, but my ignorance is powerful. Um, And uh, you're getting help from Holland, right? Yeah, Holland Hume. Uh, Big shout out to Holland Hume, who is helping out uh, me with because he prints professionally. He's also the guy who gave me the uh, lead on the pogs. So Holland is an MVP. Uh, If (laughs) I get to do this again, if I get to make the second Power Worlds book I want to make, I'm going to incorporate a budget to hire him into the, the Kickstarter. Nice. To do this kind of design and color correction and... These things that I don't know anything about and just because I have too much confidence and really need to be taken down a peg, uh, <laughs> please don't do that. But uh, I was just like, I look at these things and I'm like, I could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and the answer to it is, yes, I can. It's just a lot of work and headache that it's like <laughs> it's going through sideways. Like every everything I've had to do with design for the book has come out sideways. Yeah. Um, but you can in the meantime, if you are a PDFsman, um, you can buy a PDF of it at that that site. Uh, I, I recommend it. The writing is delightful. The illustrations are delightful. And uh, I'm I'm not saying this because I benefit from it at all. I want you to read this cool book. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, the, the, uh, the name of the world is named after you. Yeah. If I ever do that, if I ever do uh, Souls of Darkness 2 Elevator to Heck, that, that world is named <laughs> after me. So the uh, um, I took the bullet to be the, uh, the one book without the Miyazaki touch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Nice. And it, oh, and you can also review it on Goodreads if you've already read it. Which would be mm. awesome because uh, I want more people to read it. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's probably good. Just about. Um, listen to all the other shows on the network. Um, we really appreciate everybody who has uh, stuck with us so far. And uh, gosh, we're going to be back next time with one of my favorite games ever. I'm really excited to start playing it, too. This is a, we're, we're coming up from air, man. The yeah. winter of our discontent is over. Like, this this did it. Yep. I, I liked both these games I played. I'm liking playing video games again. <laughs> it's incredible. Dark Souls hope, 3. Hope Springs Eternal, man. So hope Springs big. Eternal. Yeah. I'm looking forward to everything. I have hope again in life. Uh, um, this is not, hopefully this is not the monologue, like right before I get hit by a bus. 
Um, oh, you're not close to retirement. None of us will retire. Yeah, exactly. We're all going to kill over at our desks. This is the last generation that won't suffer from retiring at all. In some ways, we're immortal because they need us to keep working. So, uh, we're not giving fate any windows. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so what should they watch out for until next? Uh, time? They should watch out for Gru's. Watch out for Gru's. Type in, 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 type in,
three five four restore.